The time has come. I am here. I just want to show Jacob what I just found. Look at that. I know how to do it now. I know how to do it now. And I see all the other places I can put in the branding. I just have to develop the branding and put it in. And some people suggested that I uh, develop branding from the Freddie and Paul show. Um, this week has been a week of the channel learning from each other. And as Chad, I've been paying a lot of attention to a lot of the channels in the in the corner this week. Chad, I think, had a really good video yesterday where he was thinking through some things. Uh, Christian Baxter is in there. Charlie Brown, Stefan from Europe. What's his outstanding documentary? A lot of, if you go back to Jordan Peterson's biblical series, the first biblical series, I looked it up this morning because I was on Twitter tweeting about some things. 12 million views on Jordan Peterson's biblical series number one. What was that one about? He didn't even get to, in typical Jordan Peterson fashion, he didn't even get to talking about Genesis yet in the first video. He was talking about the idea of God, and he's talking about, I remember one of the things that he talked about in that video was you have to, you have to practice, you have to embody before you actually know anything. And so first we do, and then we sort of represent, we create representations outside of ourselves, and then we watch ourselves do things, and then we think about it. And it's a slow process. I think one of the distortions that has come to us because of all of the screens is the, and the books before them, is the idea that we can instantly produce and know when that is not how we are. It takes time for us to know. And that's where sort of you get this when, if you were a kid growing up in a Christian community and you were reading the King James Version and, and you, you would read things like, and Adam knew his wife and she conceived. And it's like, because as a kid, you're like, wow, what, what, what kind of knowing is that? And it's, it's the kind of knowing that is embodied and it's the kind of knowing that is practiced. And as I was listening to, I, I caught Christian Baxter and Pete from Strange Theology's conversation and Christian brought up Thomas Kincaid. And of course, like many people, when you heard Thomas Kincaid, um, can members make special elect emojis? I don't know, Grizz. I don't pay attention with all of this stuff. Um, I gotta watch the con. I gotta watch the hive mind because my ADHD brain is already distracting itself. Actually, there's a piece in the conversation that I did with Guy, uh, the wrestler. Um, about ADHD, which was really cool. He's getting his PhD in CogSci. So anyway, back to back to this knowing, this embodied knowing. Part of what I see us doing in this little corner is becoming a body. We are we are becoming a body bit by bit. And 
we are doing it by watching each other, sort of like Jordan Peterson talks about in that first biblical series. We're watching each other. And 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 I heard Pete doing it in this conversation with Christian. I heard Chad doing it. Uh, Grim, I think, is a, is a ways ahead of us, partly because Grim has such a deep understanding of the hooks that set and video games have in us. We're remembering to embody bit by bit because the programming is finally sinking in. That's right, Grizz. You're you're very you're very right. Um, yeah, there you go, Mountie. <laughs> Mountie with a twenty dollar uh, super chat. And and we're watching each other. And one of the other things that I was thinking about, we've had this we've had this rush recently in the corner. And waves of obsession sort of hit it off with his his video, and then Christian uh, Baxter with his videos of edits, and um, others others are doing it too. Where we've we've been we've been around now for six years, and it's sort of like a six year old. At you know, it's about at the time that you're five or six that. Before you're five or six, you know, like when you're diaper changing your kid, our first kid was in the Dominican Republic. We had all tile floors and the houses of the door were open. We had a fenced in yard. And so we'd let my my son run around, you know, butt naked because it was hot. And, you know, you don't worry, you don't worry about diapers or anything like that. And a child doesn't a child doesn't know that they're naked. And this is sort of, of course, part of what's so interesting about the Genesis text. When when the Lord says to um, Adam and Eve, who told you you were naked? And it's about six years old that the child begins to close the bathroom door and the child already begins to dress themselves and has a sense of of being seen, of self-consciousness. And so I think all of the chatter in the corner about self-consciousness is kind of we're we're moving, we're moving into that new stage where we're self-consciousness. And um, you know, the Lord might come to us and say, who told you you were naked and and we didn't we didn't know we were just naked on these screens and we were um talking unfiltereredly it's been interesting watching all the reactions to the little bit of editing i did in one of the versions of the verveki talk if you've only seen one version you haven't seen the unedited version there's no real new content in there but we take up we take out all of the unfinished sentences and john doesn't do it as bad as i do but we both are stammerers in that in that sense. Kale, check your email um, if you if you want in. I, I've given I've given a few people. Yeah, we're live, Luke. I've given a few people access. Um, maybe I'll maybe I'll Luke. Um, uh, 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 oh, Luke has two classes. Um, Sam uh, might be able to join later. Uh, let me see if I can add Luke. Um, yeah, yeah, we've got a hierarchy. Um, people who got in early in, in the six years, you know, are sort of, it, it's, it's not unlike, um, 
it's not unlike well, who was it? Was it the sale? Uh, was it Benedict who said, or it was um, Xavier who said, "Give me a child for the first six years, and um, I'll have him for life." And so Sam and the so Luke and Job, you know, they were the super early, and then Sam was just at the end, and Sam said, "You know." The, the, the OG Randall's door closed after me. And then you have the second waivers. Uh, Grizz came later. Chad came later. But one of the things that I love about this little corner is you can make your way up in this hierarchy with um, skill, hard work, and determination. You really can. And as I'm watching... I've been watching Chad for a number of years now, and I can see the quality of his, um, I can see the quality improving. And I can see that in Christian. Christian is is already there. And, you know, and I'm never quite sure that it's actually the quality. Sometimes I wonder, well, maybe I'm just understanding them, you know, sort of the problem that when I first discovered Jonathan Peugeot, he's talking and I'm like, what, what, what's going on there? And and after I've been listening for a while, I begin to understand. And, oh, there's Dr. Jim. Um, I begin to understand and I begin to appreciate. And, of course, one of the big elements that came in, um, one of the big elements that came in this week was Tigrog showing up in the live stream on Luke's channel. And I mentioned that briefly. I didn't give it the full treatment. Uh, I did isolate the clip on Vanderclips if you want to watch it, if you have difficulty finding the, the Luke live stream. But for me, that was a, a pivotal moment because suddenly something was happening that needed to happen. Let me see if I can find it. And then a pastor friend of mine who's done a... Um, oh, I don't see it right here. Um, a pastor friend of mine who's done a... Who's done a? Who's been getting into the corner? Did isolated the live stream or isolated a clip from the live stream of everybody celebrating when Tigrog came in. Now, I think part of what, yeah, um, part of what happened in this corner is that uh, trolls are welcome-ish. Uh, you can troll. And you can be welcomed as a troll, but you're going to be tested as a troll. And what you're going to be tested for is if you control in the right way in this rather trolly corner. Um, and so Tigrog comes into that live stream with Luke and everyone is excited to see him. And... The thing about trying, I'm always mind reading, attempting to mind read the comment makers, especially if they're repeat comment makers. You know, that's what makes Anselman so mysterious. He's revealed himself quite a bit, but we've never seen his face and we've never talked in this way. We've only known Anselman through text. And so we were, you know, Tigrog in text, he could have been, he could have been 20 years old. He could have been 30 years old, but he comes in as somebody probably around my age and he starts telling his story and starts talking about how he grew up in a, in a difficult, um, 
Hey, he grew up in a he grew up in a difficult um, environment. It was in a family of alcoholics, and then got rescued by the church. And it was a a rigorous conservative reformed church. And that rigorous conservative reformed church really rescued him. But he eventually began seeing the difficulties of that. And he took a hard turn against that. He saw duplicity. Luke, I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to read. So this is the this is the the thumb the thumbnail that I made for this. And some people noticed. Well, it's a church, but there are these askew banners hanging in the church, and there's not an altar. There's an organ. And which sort of represents music. And then the carpet in the middle is all broken up. And everybody's sort of sitting in the pews with their heads down. And and sitting in the pews with their heads down might mean they're praying. But it also might mean some of what Sam, this, this comment that Sam made, um, which I pinned on Emily's story. Now, Emily is actually in the backstage here. Food truck Emily is uh, working. It's lunchtime, so it's a busy time. So she's listening in the background. She might jump in when she has time. Sam might jump in if he has time. Kale might jump in if he has time. Because this actually relates to Kale's story, too. Because there are sort of two kinds of people. There, there are more than two kinds of people. But there are people in this corner that have stayed in church or have bounced between churches and are now in a different church. And then there are people who are sort of church exiles who are, whether they're still in church or not in church, they feel exiled. And when Sam wrote this, I thought, wow, as a six-year-old corner, we're sort of figuring out, we are, we are becoming self-aware. So Sam writes this, Emily's story seems to share a pattern of a lot of people in this little corner of the internet. People just trying to make church work, but they are curious and ask questions and expect, demand even, answers from leadership that is just under-equipped to answer, as all, frankly, all leadership is. And so they throw you under the bus to save their own face while pretending they are defending the institution, meanwhile taking advantage of your loyalty to the institution the whole time. And now, of course, you can hear a lot of you can hear a lot of um, Sam's story in that. Sam, of course, if you look at the the little clip that I did with the wrestler yesterday, that little bit from that little bit from Guy. Yep. Um, where you know you have the model, and then you have the story, and of course, the depth of the model, Sam denying the trinity in trinitarian churches makes sam an old enemy and i remember when sam first emerged in the corner and you know our 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 resident grandma that we loved you yeah. know just she was the first one out with her claws you know mama bear defending the pack from evil sam and um now of course she began to she began, Mary began to gentle and then could talk to Sam. And now we can compare some notes with Sam. And now we can talk to Sam. You know, old Servetus, we burned at the stake. But, uh, you know, is it a sign of 
Uh, is it a sign of corruption that we haven't burned Sam at the stake? And so Sam noticed this in Emily's, and this is very much also in Luke's. And even though Kale, you see Kale as a um, as a loyal son of the church, of the Catholic church, he's not leaving, but boy, he's got some questions. And, and this is quite widespread. So I'll finish reading this and Luke, and then you can jump in. The failure of the low openness, high conscientious leaders who feel like they live in threatening times and need to tighten boundaries but can't articulate why, and the high openness, high sincerity folks who get caught in the gears as the machine tightens. I feel for you, Emily, no fun. Although I'm not sure that was really the heart of what Emily, of Emily's journey, but that tension is right there in Emily. And I think the, the conversation that you did, Luke, with Sam on confessionalism and you're continuing coming back to, you know, feel it just bristling and chafing against confessionalism. A lot of that is there. I listened to a video between John, I think it's John Harris and um, uh, Rosaria Butterfield and Rosaria Butterfield, you know, a few years ago, she sounded very, sympathetic at least in terms of people who the lifestyle she used to live as a lesbian woman and this latest book just seems you know hard lines and she's not gonna write things for christianity today or the gospel coalition anymore because they're maybe too squishy soft and winsome hmm. and i think in some ways here in the corner where we've we've both got We've both got the winsome and the hard liners. And, yeah. and I see us as really working this tension in the church. I don't know. So there, there, there's a, I, I, Luke, I have to give you credit here because I hadn't really planned this morning's live stream, but I thought I want to have some just chatting dynamics, but the way that you've, I think, continued to evolve the just chat, the just chatting thing on your Grail Country morning streams, where you begin with, you know, you begin with your typical Lukeness, where you've you've got your ideas and you're wandering over the place, but you sort of set the tone before you open it up, and then of course when you open it up, it can go different ways. So, yeah. Well, um. Yeah, this is a, it's an interesting, this whole phenomenon is an interesting thing. It's something I'm still trying to get at. Uh, I made that video on conservatism, which probably of, of all the videos I've made and, and of the pushback I've gotten, like that one, uh, I feel like I must have not communicated it very well because it was just not understood at all. But I think it's related to this is that the, the, the hardline impulse to me is a very, uh, Jonathan Haidt conservative disgust factor impulse. It's this well-intentioned thing to to keep the outsider and the dangerous and the fringe at bay to protect. It, it's a it's a temperamental disposition toward order. Which yes, is, which is fine. Yep, there's nothing wrong with it. Which is necessary. You need yeah. it. Yes, but but there is a concern, like Peugeot said once that he said. Uh, and he's talking about temperament, conservative type people, their, their fear, like the, the, the example of their fear would be the chimera, the thing that you can't, 
you can't put into a category. It's this weird thing. And he said, liberal type people, truly temperamentally liberal people, they fear like the hillbilly. It's the, it's the inbred, closed off thing where there's no new life. It's the kind of hyper-ordered authoritarian totalitarianism. That's for sure me. But the problem, I think, in modern categories, and especially like American politics and culture war, is they're both conservatives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. And, and part of, you know, another strain that came out strongly this week, and again, partly through your work on Grail Country, but also through Emily's conversation. Um, so uh, Gavin and Chad had their wives on. Yeah, so good. But their wives weren't seen. Mm -hmm. And so part of what I've it been working happen. on is behind the scenes, um, because we're struggling, we're struggling with the, we're struggling with the feminine because the feminine is the strange thing which directs our attention, but is always, as Peugeot said, it's always sort of veiled. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's the, you know, so that's why, you know, the fan dance um, is, you know, was a motif in burlesque mm. because what the fan dance does is works that boundary between full revelation and that which seeing doesn't actually fulfill. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, this week I had, I, I had just, I played just an astounding conversation with Elizabeth Oldfield. Yeah, it was great. Loved it. And then the astounding conversation with Emily. And for those in the member section, you know, it's been interesting because part of the reason the member section is key is because it's at least enough of a veil where, you know, there's another, there's another Rando's woman conversation that is, is just amazing behind the paywall. And of course, all that old Laura stuff yep. was incredible. So, and, and, you know, you talk about it. I don't talk about it much actually, but, but you often talk about the fact that so many of us here are those of us who are married here. So many of us, it's just sort of one of us is in and sometimes in deep and the <laughs> other is really concerned <laughs> Oh man, I, I, Chad and I have been talking about this because multiple times Chad or other people have talked about having a conversation with you. Like I would love to have a conversation with you, Gavin, all of our wives, and even have it not be recorded just to get, just to talk. My, <laughs> my wife was just like, no, no. I will absolutely not do that. I have zero interest. But part of it's hard because Chad had that video recently where he said, I think it was, I don't know if this was in a video or, or a private message to me. And he was saying, it's really difficult to explain to your wives or to somebody who's not participating in this or who's not initiated in this world what's happening. This is such a weird thing. I, I can't, there's no parallel that I can compare this to. There's really not. Yeah. It's a new thing. Well, Chad, in one of his, in his video yesterday, he asked, are there other flotillas? Yeah. Yep. 
And and that was an interesting question because again, we're at sort of the six-year-old developmental mark as a body. And we're, you know, beginning to realize that we're naked. And we're we're looking around and wondering, is anyone else like us around? Yeah. Well, and this is I'm I'm increasingly fascinated too with the 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 body, because this is a subtle body. And, and the bodiedness of it and what are the boundaries of that body, which gets into the heresy question of right. like, when when is something inside and outside the body and who decides and how do you discern that and navigate that whole? It's a fascinating conversation with me. I actually pitched it to another because, uh, so Catherine just, I've been messaging her because I'm just like, where are you? <laughs> like, <laughs> you just kind of disappeared. And she replied to me the other day that she's just kind of dipping her toes back in. And I was like, because Catherine's a little bit temperamentally different than me. And, uh, but we have a great relationship. And so I was like, maybe that's, that'd be a fun conversation to dive back into, to have a heresy TLC conversation. Because that's, that comes up because that's what like MJ, do you know MJ? He's yeah. a biblical Unitarian who comments a lot, but he's never. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. MJ, I was thinking M and J, but yeah. E-M-J-A-Y. Oh yeah. yeah. MJ is another one in who has who has sort of found the liminal space here yeah and by i mean mj's comments are always it, it's funny because in some ways he's like grim grizz because he's always he's but he's not looking for the conspiracy theory of the three level agency three letter agency he's looking for the spiritual yeah he's looking for the spiritual fraud and everything he sees that most of us say oh this is good he's like how do you know this isn't Satan's ploy? But but again, in that ordered way. Yeah. He's always yeah. he's always fearful of the chaotic, not right. the hyper-ordered. Right. Which is hilarious because he's a Unitarian. Yes. And so he's always talking about heresy. And it's like, so the heretic is worried about heresy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, it's a so he or Phlebas, he either he or Phlebas said this to me the other day, because because they're getting this vibe, this increasing thing that now. This conversationalism, this dialogos, these long form things, this is going to be the new, this is the orthodoxy of TLC, where the kind of bounded set exclusion based on confessionalism is, is the new, that's the new anathema. And I said, but, but the difference, at least for me, though, that's maybe true, because somebody made that comment recently, like we can't disagree or some ideas are more popular than others. I was like, yeah, that's fine. We can disagree, but I'm not going to exclude you. Like, I'm not going to ban MJ. Or Phlebas, keep right. saying what you're saying. It's just, right. and and so that you know. So then, when CW decides, and CW, who is, if if somebody is in this corner and they have not watched the two hour plus rando conversation with CW, you have some homework to do. Yeah, um, because it's um, entertaining and substantive. It's substantive. And so when CW decides he wants to make his splash in the corner, he has this three hour beast of a conversation with Nathan. Mm -hmm. And, and of course, some of these characters are, you know, sort of the monsters because they're liminal because Nathan, of course, um, and Nathan, of course, early on, you know, was, was in Bridges of Meaning and he has some of, he has one of the distinctions of being one of the few people to have actually been banned from the server, brought back in, banned again. Um, and again, to get banned by Joey, that's like, 
you know, mm-hmm. that's just like going through puberty. It happens to everyone. Um, <laughs> but, to, <laughs> but to get banned by others in that in that leadership group of BOM, that was you had to really you had to be the kind of troll that the rest of the trolley folks looked at and said, no, that's that's not what we're playing here. But all of this figuring out what we're doing is this move towards self-consciousness playing together. And so it's like Peterson talks about in that first biblical series where, and, and like a toddler does, we're looking for the boundaries. If I do this, will I be excluded? How about this? How about this? And we're watching each other. And then we watch someone else do something and, oh, they they got, and, and again, this isn't, because this isn't, this doesn't have a leadership structure like some people want it to have, which would be, um, you know, very institutionalized because, you know, at least for my part, I've said, I don't want that. What that means is that we sort of discover the organic boundaries rather than having PVK establish institutional boundaries, which I think Sam goes back to, I thought this was, this was a moment of self, your, your comment was a moment of self-consciousness for the corner. Well, thanks. I also, you're right that I sort of had me, Luke and Emily as sort of top of mind when I was writing that comment. Because there are others, I, I think, there are also others in the corner who, like myself, feel very comfortable in their church and but are worried are, are worried for both sides. Like in the Christian Reformed Church, this is the issue right now. On one hand, it's what are we going to do with this with this whole <laughs> sexual revolution? And at the same time, it's Rita's cry at Synod. Is this synod telling me that my children can't be part of the church? Right. I was so split in that moment. Like when Rita's her name, when Rita. I like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And she's, you know, she's getting choked up thinking about this. I'm like, oh man, the boundaries are tightening. And that always makes me nervous because I'm the next one to go as soon as boundaries start tightening. And, but I'm like, oh, man, I kind of agree. I, I hope actually the conservative faction of the CRC wins in some sort of sense. But I'm like, oh, and I, I don't know. I've like my own, um, you know, getting kicked out of churches has always been tied up with the LGBT question every single time. There's this like what you would think, what does the deity of Christ have to do with LGBTQ issues? You know, but like every single time like what happened to me in college was the university getting mad at the christian fellowships for excluding gay people and then the christian fellowships tightened down their and exclude me right that that was you know the first thing and it's like i cannot tell you the number of times where something like this has happened where i am talking with a pastor or an important person in the church I tell them my beliefs for the first time. They're some amount of flabbergasted and they'd be like, well, that would be like not believing in, you know, uh, that would be like believing in gay marriage. It's like, in what possible world, <laughs> you know, is what I'm telling you, like believing in gay marriage. But that connection comes up all the time. And then like another really weird thing that happens, I still need Jonathan Pajot to interpret this pattern, is someone will kick me out of their church or whatever. And then like a year later, come out as gay 
and apologize to me and then tell me that they're gay now. I'm like, huh, you don't say. Um, and and it, it's like, I don't know what that's about. Uh, like Eric, Eric, the, the priest said something like, you know, we don't want to glorify heresy. And probably most people think that that's like what I wake up in the morning getting ready to do. But I have never called myself heterodox or a heretic or I, you know, I don't like I'm not the heterodox, you know, YouTube channel. I think I'm orthodox uh, and, and I and I'm not like trying. I'm not trying to. Like the intellectual dark web, like there's that Jonathan Peugeot tweet where like you're never going to build something if you call yourself heterodox or dark or rebel or, you know, all these sorts of words. And I like when I saw that tweet, I'm like, yes, exactly. I'm not trying to play that game. It's just everyone thinks I am. Welcome, Emily. Hey, I wanted to say something real quick because I think this is funny. You remember in my uh, I mentioned my parents getting kicked out of the ministry. I left this part out for a reason, but um people started confessing homosexuality to my father and they the leadership felt like they just were losing complete control over they couldn't handle it, it was too it was too much you know yeah it's yeah. almost like he was turning them gay <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> no i mean he wasn't like i, don't, I, I understand you know what i mean <laughs> i know what you mean well and and sam that that is such an interesting observation and, you know, in some ways it hits on U.S. politics, too, because, of course, in 2014, when Trump starts looking at the border, all the political pundits and TV were like, what? Isn't the narrative healthcare?" And it's almost like once you look on borders, many of the border issues just will become salient. And and obviously, I you know, for for Christian history, the border between the Trinity, Trinitarian and non-Trinitarian became an immensely important, important border. And of course this, it, it was fast. It's actually in my rough draft today. I was fascinated by the new Alexander, the great series that's on Netflix, somebody, an end wokeness account in Twitter writes, you know, gosh, you know, Netflix has Alexander, and in the first turn, 10 minutes, they turn him gay. But of course, any, <laughs> I of, saw us, that. any of us who have been listening to Tom Holland are like, oh, that whole gay thing? That's just the start of this conversation, boys and girls. I mean, <laughs> you want to talk about sexuality in the ancient world? Huh. Bring it on. And it's um, like gay, and, and there's a little bit of truth in that the way Netflix was handling it. Yes! Isn't quite because they are turning him gay. Yes. But but of course Alexander engaged in all sorts of homosexual activity. Like his main love partner was a castrated Babylonian eunuch who was this pretty like 13 or 14 year old boy that then, you know, gets castrated so he keeps looking the same way for the next couple of years. And that's yeah, Alexander or Nero. Alexander Really? Alexander. I didn't know that about yes. Alexander. It, it was a unit like when he captures Babylon, it was one of the you know the court sex slave eunuchs in the, the court of Babylon, and that's his main love interest for the rest of his life. And like you know, the it was funny. I was watching like a couple of weeks ago, I was watching um with my wife um my big fat Greek wedding too. And one of the subplots is the grandfather wanting to prove that he's descended from Alexander the Great. I'm like, no one's descended from Alexander the Great. 
he had two kids and that they were killed early on after Alexander died in the secession battle. So he has no descendants. No one's descended from Alexander the Great. But part of that, he, he wasn't Genghis Khan because he had his same-sex sex slaves that he preferred to whatever women in the town he had just captured. And so that's why there aren't any descendants of Alexander the Great. Well, women are really difficult to deal with. You know, you really have to. <laughs> Don't give them the mic. Speak, speak about your woman. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, so, but to come back, to swing back to one of the, one of the interesting things here is the, I mean, what I'll, the the woman who had who just did a Randall's conversation, she was really reluctant to release that. I said, well, "Why don't you try it in the membership section?" But th there are there are a number of women, including Vivian. We'll see if she makes a, an appearance in the comment section. That look at this corner and are like, "What what does this corner do? Do women fit into this corner? Because this is a really male space." But yeah, and we saw this on the Discord server too, on Bridges of Meaning Discord server. People would say, oh, they're almost all men. I said, yeah, but boy, I'll tell you, those women have power. I mean, because you if you'd cross Sherry or Andrea or some of these other women in that Discord server, it's like, and, and you know this in churches too. I mean, ministers, they really keep an, an eye on the older women because that shadow matriarchy, they have power. Um, so Yeah, I would say like of my closest friends in TLC, half of them are women. That doesn't I mean, surprise me, Luke. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's 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 some there's some great women in TLC. Yeah, I mean, you just but they're not they're not always they're I mean, part of this is just the temperamental difference between men and women, largely as a rule. There's always exceptions, but women don't have nearly as much of a need or desire to talk about what they think about everything all the time. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, I think they talk about different things. <laughs> they talk about different things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but not like in yeah, the intellectual sphere. Not these things. Not these things. Most of my friends have been guys for that reason, I think. <sighs> I should just say, Emily, I really enjoyed your story and I thought that that was wonderful. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. Thank you. I was literally sick at my stomach for about 24 hours afterward. I like, know. I the can't feeling. believe I just put that. Well, also because I was like, I felt like just a babbling fool, you know, <laughs> but whatever it, it is, what it is at That's the end good. of the 24 hours, I was like, all right, it's out there and I'm done and I'm just releasing it. So, but you're one of the, I, go ahead, Luke. That's one of the powers though, of, of the randos conversations and personal conversations is that they're personal. And so I always like to reference okay. that. Matthew McConaughey thing when he was writing his memoir when he said he, the more universal he wanted to make it the less relatable it came to everyone but then the more personal he made it the more universal it became that's because when you're telling your story oh, right. it's highly relatable to everyone and it's not I've scripted had, I've had so many like right now I have my uh, inbox I keep getting notifications the more people that are seeing the video they keep reaching out to me they're finding me on Twitter thanks for that Paul um <laughs> They're reaching do. out to me on Twitter or uh, through my channel. And I can't tell you how many women are like, I didn't know that other people had similar experiences or they're afraid to talk about it, especially like more like the sexual abuse stuff. And the reason I'm very vocal about it and I'm, 
I don't have any more shame or hesitancy. I, I'm not afraid to make people uncomfortable even talking about it because one out of four children has been sexually abused. I think that's the statistic. And every time I'm in a group of, I mean, whether it's men or women, they're, you know, and as soon as I open up a little bit about it, they're able to open up. And so I found that it's kind of a necessary courage because that's the only way you're going to get healing. And I think so much of people's, um, so many of our issues is just, we have things in the darkness that have to come into the light, you know? And I think that, yeah. So yeah, when you're vulnerable and you invite someone else into your openness and it's a powerful thing. I mean, Well, I think it, it helps Emily that you are, you are a worship leader. You're used to being on stage. And even though, um, like, and Sam got on that, because Sam is also a worship leader, which is interesting. Oh, really? And yeah. Paul, Paul and Leitner, we have more than our fair share of uh, guitar strumming worship leaders in this little corner. We could make Christian a great Baxter. band. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's super interesting. So you and that, and when you're a worship leader, you have to you have to get comfortable with sharing vulnerability on stage oh what yeah 100% even everything i mean think about it when when you sing it's so easy to become self-conscious like oh what does my face look like am i making like a weird face or you know like am i moving too much or am i not moving enough and and you'll get comments you'll get feedback about stuff like that um but one thing that like I would say I continually get feedback on is they'll say when I sing, it's like I'm telling stories and I don't, I, I know what they mean and I don't know what they mean at the same time, you know? And I think it's, if I have a gift, if I can say that or be so bold, it's like, I feel very deeply connected when I'm singing. Um, yeah. And it's particularly in that environment, like when I'm able to forget myself, then I'm, and I think that, I don't know, I don't know how that translates, but it does because I get to feedback be, on it constantly. To be a good worship leader, you have to be sort of like the emotional model that everyone in the church is looking at uh, to figure yeah. out what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to feel and how they're supposed to react. And so you're sort of trying to channel the mood that or the vibe or the spirit or whatever that the whole church is supposed to be experiencing. And that it's it's kind of a heavy burden to have to be able to do that well, on command well and not just that there's you have to resist feeding on the energy of the room because and i remember back when i was like 19 18 i don't know i read this watchman knee book called the latent power of the soul has anyone ever have y'all wa ever read any watchman knee i've read some but not it much. is um i got into him for a while first of all just like uh listening to your perspective from like an eastern perspective you know he's chinese Anyway, um, and he mentioned something in there about that kind of, like when he would get up to preach, there is this temptation to like feel the room and when they're energized or whatever, you feel energized. And, um, but then there's a real danger in that because he's like, you should be relying on the spirit of God, for example, you know, and sorry, there's a train going by. Well, I think that? you want to have some amount of interacting with the room. Um, and some amount of feedback of that. And that can be really good and helpful and well, exciting too. I think that's the, yeah, I think it's, well, I think it's, you're engaging with it. Like in a conversation, you have to be aware of what, like the facial, you know, whatever. But 
you can't be like so if people aren't into it or whatever and if all of a sudden your spirit just like falls and you just you know what i mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it can't become you can't be reading people for like how good am i am i doing okay am i am i doing good like you know i don't know well, if that makes sense but. the gospels so again i'm in mark and the gospels jesus and the crowd have a very interesting relationship in the gospels Jesus is very suspicious of the crowd. He, he works the crowd, but he never surrenders to the crowd. I think we, we get at that in this video space with audience capture. You, the worship leader shouldn't be captured by the audience. You could, if you got to go, Emily, just turn off the camera and I'll drop you out of the room. So um, I think, I think they have it. I'm, I'm checking on them. Okay. Okay. Um, to see, there's there's a reason she's food truck Emily, and you, you see that here. Um, uh, so, and, and as a and so then when I contrast, let's say worship leaders with ministers and preachers, I mean there's some similar dynamics, but that's where this this confessional element um, this confessional element is important. It, it's interesting what what Eric says here, what Father Eric says here. Um, how do you get back to Jesus if not via tradition? And, um, you know, part of what's going on right now in late Protestantism is a continual conversation about tradition. And that's that's to me where the Islam questions really get interesting, because if scholars like... Um, you know, some of those that Tom Holland worked from for the shadow of the sword are correct. I Islam seems to start as this sort of a common folk religion, a monotheistic folk religion that was kind of a least common denominator in a certain area. And, you know, we, we shouldn't be afraid of that in America because the United States has had that for the 20th century and 19th century had, especially the 20th century, had a very much a common, the lowest common denominator religion. You see that in Norman Rockwell. And whether you are a Trinitarian or a Unitarian or a Catholic or a Jew, or whether you went to church or not, as long as you believed in God and you liked a Frank Capra movie, yeah, that was good enough. Mm -hmm. And um, and then, of course, traditions developed from there. So, you know, and I think the turn with many towards orthodoxy you know, I, I was impressed some conversations with, you know, I'll, I'll use Jordan Hall because that one's public. You know, Jordan Hall joins Christianity and he's not Orthodox. Sounded pretty Calvinist if I had to guess too. And like, hey, you should get a victory lap every once in a while, Paul. You know, you, you, <laughs> I, you know, the, the ortho bros and the, the Catholics get all these ortho, all these victory laps every time someone converts to their thing. I think you get to pat yourself on the back a little bit sometimes. He's he's probably my my guess is he's it's probably a, a fairly uh it's probably a fairly liberal form of of Calvinism, not not terribly strict, which is which is fine. So but but that's but but that's part it's of the, his town is a PC USA camp. Like a summer camp in a college of the PCUSA. Of the PCUSA. So, which is the liberal one, right? Which is the liberal one, right. Yeah. So I suspect that there are some highly devoted mainliners that that he has uh, 
What is I main? Just, what is mainline? I keep meaning to Google it. The mainline is a train route that runs from downtown Philadelphia through the ritzy suburbs of Philadelphia, and that came to be oh. attached to the sort of churches that you would see in ritzy suburbs, which are sort of like the high prestige, high social status um, denominations, which would include Presbyterianism, Congregationalism, and Episcopalianism, and Unitarianism, kind of. And some Methodists. Um, and some Methodists. But the big the big stone and brick churches that you would see in a cushy suburb. Right. And uh, that's what it means. Okay. Well, I'm in Texas, and, like, growing up, it was definitely Baptist. And everything was first Baptist. And I always wondered about that. I'm like, there's so many of y'all. How can you all be first? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's, no, there's, like, absolutely no second Baptist or third Baptist. You know what I mean? Like, it was all first Baptist. But we would always call them, like, there was a church, uh, it's called Green Acres, but everyone called them Green Flakers or Green Fakers, like, you know. So I had this bad idea about, I don't know how I got from that, from mainline, but. Some some Northern Baptists were also mainline and liberal. Um, so it's. Yeah, it, yeah well, that's it, where all the rich people went. Well, it was the well thing. Northern, yes, there you go. Northern Baptist is very different, and it can often be quite liberal in yes. northern cities. And it's, yes. it's an entirely different species than Southern Baptist. Yes. And then there's Black yeah. Baptist, which is also its own completely separate species. Although so that, the main that was had the Baptist? money and the social power. Mm -hmm. Black Baptist, like African-American Baptist churches oh, okay. are also a very their own thing. And I was thinking when we were talking about worship leaders, even the idea of having a worship leader is a pretty African-American idea. And oftentimes in African-American churches, it is the preacher who will be preaching and then get very inspired yeah, by this singing. relates to a song. And then the organ player is immediately right there behind them to back it up and everyone sings the song. And the, the, the preacher is leading it the whole time. And then we're back into a sermon and then that could lead into a different song. Right. And that that idea of having sort of an emotional focal point at the front is i think comes i think comes from the african-american tradition more so than the european protestant tradition and also par partly because of the in the african-american church people didn't have much access to education yeah so yeah. they had to lead with other things you couldn't have a hymnal even or you couldn't count on your your congregation to afford or read hymnals so you have the call and response songs where right. there are verses that the leader will sing, and then there's a chorus or an echo back that is very repeated that's yep. easy for a congregation to do while being led without hymnals or whatever, or a yep. PowerPoint slide. Yeah. And you had the, you know, it, people shouldn't fail to appreciate the ways that the American Civil War fundamentally reshaped the church in the United States. And, and what that what that meant no that's okay you're on you're on uh you're on cellular so we've got lots of experience with that no, I just i'm so i'm so tech retarded i just i accidentally just clicked out of it <laughs> you're so tucker tired i haven't listened to tucker's uh talk with putin yet oh I, that that'll be my treat for this afternoon oh my god Emily, i listened I to it last you. night I had okay. a question that isn't related to Vladimir Putin. Um, how, how did how did it feel reading the comments on on your own video? Because that's a, a weird first oh. experience. I totally cried. Like I felt so. Um, you know, at first you're kind of bracing yourself, and then there's just so much, so much love, honestly. 
and yeah it felt really good and also it just felt like oh my gosh there's some i didn't know that this was going to resonate with so many people and that yeah it felt really good have you done it's, one sam oh i sure. did one once once a long time ago it's probably been over three years ago at this point maybe even almost four there was there were problems with the first one. Remember that there was sound. Oh, issues. we did. Yeah, we had a first one, and like I had a bad internet connection, and then I recorded it in a separate part of my house the next time. Like you can tell, it's not this background. I have new Wi-Fi since then, but um, yeah, I remember that. So I had, I got to. I think that part of the reason why the first one that was published was relatively good and coherent was because I had like a practice run with you, and so. I yeah. got to do the second one probably slightly <laughs> more coherently and cogently. I need to, I'll have to go back and find it. I have to admit that this whole time I thought you're CW. I got your face mixed up with somebody else's name. That's, yeah. So, CW and I now have, have to figure uh, out who CW is. CW is a curious fellow. He, he has his own story that he, he would also fit the comment that um, this, uh, the title of this video was inspired by. He also got chewed up and ground out by a PCA church for not being able to like their definition of inerrancy, among other things. CW got himself kicked out of an OPC church. He made them discipline him. And then they did. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little interesting. interesting and story. he came from a way international background like myself. So we, yeah, we have more than a few things in common. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know that. He didn't spend much time in it. Like his mom was only in it for a while, and if I remember, his childhood was um, rather had a lot of moves in it. So I don't think he got a full dose of it, but he was yeah. in the way for a while. Yeah, yeah. So Sam, um, what do you think about this thesis of self consciousness and the corner? I mean, you've been watching it for a while now. Um, I mean, I feel like this isn't the first time we've had a, a bout of navel gazing. And again, I don't think it's a bad thing as long as it's not too overly narcissistic um, to define the relationship and define the thing. Uh, but I remember back, I don't know, we've had a couple of times where we've had to think about who we are. Like you keep bringing up, there are people who wanted to organize this thing. And I'll admit, I was me and Hank were calling you on the phone sometimes to, trying to come up with our ideas of how to do that. And for the record, I am completely uh, grateful that we did not take my own advice. And I think that you were right. Uh, and that time has borne that out. So I'll repent from those earlier ideas. Um, but I think that it's, it's, interesting that it's still going it, we haven't we're maybe a little bit bigger and we have some new momentum it's not like a ton of accelerated growth but right. we haven't fizzled either right um there are obviously some people now who are less engaged than they used to be but there are also a lot of people more engaged now than they ever used to be um and so i i don't know and uh who was it was it chad or grim who asked about are there other flotillas out there that was chad um, yeah Maybe someday we'll be sailing in the ocean and be like, who, who are you guys? Uh, <laughs> and, and, and we'll meet up. But um, I don't know. I feel like we're doing something like reinforcing a form of, I don't know, consciousness or spirit or something in each other that is some way of strengthening faith through whatever in the world is going on. Um, 
Do you, do you think Father Eric is right? I don't think so. Well, I don't know. It would certainly be a huge blow, and I don't want that to happen. Um, and maybe not. Could be right. There would be have to someone who would fill that vacuum, um, and that would be hard. And I think that, well, it's interesting that Peugeot isn't trying to do something similar. Well, one of the interesting things that came out in both my recent conversations with John and Jonathan is they both in their videos said, I'm not trying to start a community. And you're like, I'm trying to start a community. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> and and that, that was interesting to me because I, I think part of it is, so you have the Verveke Foundation and they have volunteers and you have the symbolic world, which seems more loose, but they sort of have the container of orthodoxy around them. I don't know that there's anyone going to be at the stage at the symbolic world summit who is not orthodox. And I think that's, I think that's telling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's basically becoming sort of an orthodox evangelism arm is in a certain sense what the symbolic world seems to be. Yeah. sort of at his core. I know, certainly, I, I know lots of people who are going who aren't orthodox. Right. But is the symbolic world really just sort of a evangelical arm of the orthodox church? And I know um, some people would love my channel to be that for the Christian Reformed Church. But, and and this, and this is what's interesting, again, to me, and, you know, this is sort of the self-consciousness thing. I mean, Emily, both you and Emily have aspects of your stories that get into this comment that you made there's a there's a a not fitting with church even while i mean emily is a worship leader at a prominent prominent evangelical church i'm a minister in an evangel in a evangelical ish church and sam you you are kind of an ongoing exile Except I'm go attending mainline churches at the moment. Me and uh, um, Jordan Hall. I'm go. I'm going NCW. to NCW. You make it sound yeah. like you are going with Jordan. No, I'm, I wish that would be fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to a mainline church because that's really it's like the only option that that is viable with all these con the constraints of my theology and having a family is yeah. is a lot. So I honestly never, I really never thought I would, would go to an evangelical church. I felt like, honestly, embarrassed, you know. <laughs> so here, here's right, something for our two worship leaders. It, this oh, appeared on Twitter, and the question was, is worship overproduced? Which, mm. um, that, that's sort of an easy thing in kind of lowbrow America when you know we've got the smoke machines and we've got the stage and we've got the lights and of course this is all although this is popular in lowbrow america so, right uh, and uh, it's it, also our, what people our make cathedrals fun of. over engineered is this well, that was exactly my follow-up tweet which oh. was what about oh. this my okay. friends um <laughs> good point right <laughs> is 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 this worship over engineered yeah. i mean and okay the problem that i i have with this and this is what i've been struggling since the absolute very first time i ever went into a church 
was I am very um, resistant to having my emotions pulled at. And music has such a powerful thing. And I feel like so easily it gets used to manipulate and almost like falsify spiritual experiences. And um, the, a lot of that overproduction can be, uh, yeah, it can be that. It can just be engineering a feeling that's not necessarily having anything to do with God. Um, and so, and so I'm always resisting, <laughs> resisting that. And there's like a constant war going on inside of me every, you know, and I feel like I'm in a really good group of leadership that they're aware of these things. They talk about these things. I'm just like, I just don't want to be part of, yeah. Really the hard. Orthodox don't feel any of that embarrassment about their buildings. Yeah. That's what I think is hilarious. We we are like meeting in what looks like schools, like boxes, you know. But we bring but the music the can art be pretty great, a different kind of art. And I, I th Protestantism yeah, shouldn't forget how good at music we are compared to the Catholics and the Orthodox. I mean, I've been to a Catholic service one time where we sang "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God." I'm like looking in the hymnal. I'm like, are they going to credit Luther with that one or not? <laughs> like, like so much of Catholic music is Protestant, and even then, it's not particularly good at imitating the Protestant thing. Protestants are way better at music than Catholics or Orthodox. I'm sorry. I, I okay, some chants can be cool sometimes, but let's just be real here. The Protestants our, our are lyrics in aren't their that great, league. though. <laughs> What's that? Sometimes the theology. It I said the lyrics aren't always that great, and sometimes the theology is very iffy. Sometimes I, I actually, one Easter, I was singing a song, and I said, guys, like in the middle of the rehearsal, I just said, can y'all please go over these lyrics? Like, can you please, can we, like, there's something not right there. <laughs> and I don't even remember what song it was. I was like, I was like, first of all, it didn't even make sense. Second of all, what the heck are we singing? Um, so there, yeah, there are, <laughs> I don't know. That's the, the thing that we do on Sunday. I have so many questions about. It's well, a real problem for me. It was, it was during a live stream that I realized that a deep part of Protestantism was the spiritualization of the architecture and the physical floor layout of the Orthodox and Catholic. We, right. you know, you lose vestments because you have the priesthood of all believers. You lose the rail that separates the boundary, whether it's physical in a rail or a beam or, or however the tradition has it. You lose that. Um, and and you have um, you Protestantism replicated or basically spiritualized what had been done in other ways in the traditions and that was super. And, and so then when you see an Orthodox church in a strip mall, you have to ask, can you really, can you really <laughs> that do exist? that there? I've seen it. I've seen I it. I know. Too. I've seen them too. I've seen it. But because there's like, you know, 12, uh, you know, Syrians in some small town. And so this is what they can do. Right. Yeah. But that's why. I guess they don't do house church. <laughs> Well, they would. So, so that's why. So, a good friend of mine, he was taught. He had an Orthodox priest, and it was a good friend of his in the same town. And my friend had planted one of the more successful Christian Reformed seeker churches. 
Um, and he, so he was talking to his Orthodox priest friend about evangelism. And he said, oh, we're, we're, we're not doing evangelism yet. Okay. There's, there's, I want to, I want to, what, what Upcycle has done, I'm still figuring out the whole membership thing. If you've been waiting to get in membership, but for some reason you can't afford $3, uh, you can take those memberships. Upcycle has just gifted 10 free memberships, so you can become a member. Um, I hope Kale gets in because I want Kale in there. Um, but anyway. So, I'm going to stand up for the Protestant music a little bit. I see the comment section giving me some pushback on this. First off, people have like such short memories that they think all of Protestantism is just what one evangelical megachurch looked like last Sunday or something like that. When the reality is, is that Protestantism is this enormously broad thing. You know, I cited A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That song is 500 years old. And, you know, we've been at this for a long time. And so you can't just like pick your least favorite example that feels the most cringe to you now and project that back across half a billion people over 500 years and think that that's a fair thing to do. But um, I think that that really the reason why Protestantism and music go well together is because the experience is so egalitarian and that it is remembering to meet people where they're at and to make sure that no one's left behind and that music has that ability even more than architecture or um, other things like that. I think that's right. And it's, it, we also tend to forget the fact that even though Americans come from all these other different countries of the world, the American church was deeply impacted by the English language and by, you know, there's this period in, in England when sort of the golden age of hymnody where people, these, these theologians were writing hymns because they knew that the only way to get theology in the, in the newly industrialized urban masses were hymns. And many of our great hymns come from that period. And we are actually, I think, again, in another golden age of Protestant hymnody, although hymn isn't exactly the right word. And I mean, praise songs kind of went away in the 80s and 90s. But, you know, you have to remember, you need, you need 10,000 bad worship songs to get the one gem. Mm -hmm. And that there are... There are still more people today alive who find that form of worship compelling and touching them in a way that growing up in their Catholic church, no matter how beautiful it was, does. Yeah. And that, you know, be very careful to just discount this or throw it away as, you know, 7-Eleven songs and uh, electric guitars and stuff like that. Christianity has always been taking advantage of the newest musical technologies to reach people. Yep. Um, you know, as an organ, should an organ not be allowed in church because it's powered by electricity? You know, so. Well, and and Dale Adding's comment here: First CRC Orange City, which probably means nothing to most of you. Orange City is in Northwest Iowa. They do a lot of deciding who's going to be president in Northwest Iowa. Um, that would be a traditional Christian Reformed church, and many Christian Reformed churches traditionally 
these were big singing churches. You didn't have anyone on stage. You just had a hymnal. You maybe had an organ. And boy, they... they you could do had... your own harmony. Would you? Did the CRC have uh, choirs that were sort of like specially dressed and would lead singing in some kind of sense? Or was it more egalitarian than that? There were a couple... There were some kind of cathedral Christian Reformed churches. The Christian Reformed church has always been caught between the tension between the main line and the evangelical. So there were a few that did the choir thing, but but many were congregational singing, which was interesting because that was a deviation from the tradition, which was only psalms and then even so sometimes a cappella. No. So, but I loved for a while we had a cappella singing here at Living Stones. I loved it. And yeah, I mean, a cappella singing can also be amazingly beautiful and awesome, like primitive Baptist Appalachian music, like. That stuff is bone-chillingly cool. And they have like super strict rules about what the music can do and you know, no instruments and stuff like that. That's some of the most beautiful music I've ever heard. And bluegrass owes a huge amount to the spirit of primitive Baptist Appalachian music. Um, and so yeah, anyway. Well, it was also very it was also very interesting that so you had the you had the seeker movement, which sort of brought the stage. And then you had the emergent movement, and the emergent movement sort of brought folk music and put that on the stage. And so, you know, I, I think I, my guess is I've seen a couple of your little videos that a nephew or something did did of you, Emily. But you're you're a little bit more folkish than you're not up there being Taylor Swift now on a stage. No, with that's actually. That's you're one hundred percent right. I'm definitely more folk style singer, <laughs> like singer songwriter. Yeah. So anytime they give me one of the like big songs, like uh, what's her name, Lauren Daigle, I always have to have it redone for me because I don't, you know, I'm not one of those. And and not that a powerful singer. But to to build an Orthodox cathedral, I remember the you know the father at St Andrews. I don't want to black. I don't want to badmouth him, but he was talking about, you know, we have over a million dollars just in the stone in the floor. And in a, in a Protestant church, if you have someone with some musical skills and a guitar, you know, there you go. You can work yeah. with that. Yeah. So. That's All right. the difference between a kind of hierarchically oriented church structure and egalitarian oriented church structure too. There is something yes. a little snooty about assuming that you can't do worship properly until you've got a couple million dollars into your granite floor. But uh, yeah. just point that out. All right, I'm dropping I'll say the something link. Too. Can I say something real quick too? Um, Absolutely. This kind of goes back to the very beginning when you were opening up to this and it's related, but maybe a little bit. It's about like T-Grog and I was thinking about that and also how I view evangelical church or the church I'm at now and worship and all these things in such a different way. And it's back to that message I sent you to from actually it turned out it was the intro to the Chesterton book on um, everlasting man. When he talks about you have to get far enough away from something sometimes to see. And hi, Chad. Anyway, um, and I feel like that's something that happened for me. It's like I had to go so far away until I almost forgot the whole language of it. And then when I heard someone else like Jordan Peterson and Pajot, it's like they're they're talking about it like 
a foreigner talking about it. And I was able to see it through completely different eyes. And yeah, I have a completely different appreciation for church as it is and all of its all of its weirdness and all of the problems I have with it. Um, like someone who traveled really far away from home and really got homesick, you know, I see it. I see it that way. So. That's fair. That, so, uh, sorry, the T-Grog thing. I feel like I hope he's having a similar. It's like sometimes they become so familiar to you that you have so much contempt for it, you know. So anyway, well, I think in his in his story, and I, I I hope I get a chance to talk have a little deeper dive with him, because he there, there's there's this con continual evolution where on one hand, if you get saved by something, if you get like if if Chad if Chad hit a point where he would look at AA and say. Hmm, if you could sort of see through AA, that hits hard, and and so you're kind of constantly working on working on these things. So, yeah, that's why I really like what um, Guy was talking about with the the model versus the story. You know, like so, like if if I if I t if I made AA an idol, basically, I would it would become the the model would be the most important thing. And I did that for a while. And yeah, probably got pretty close to basically deconstructing myself out of out of AA. But <clears throat> uh, so it's actually in the in the stories that we share with each other, like where where the the where the life is. And so there has to be like this this kind of like balancing between the model and the story. And that so that was pretty huge that was very helpful um that that thing that he pointed out there i was like oh which made a whole bunch of stuff like kind of snap into alignment for me especially with some of the annoyance that i was having around like why is this person saying this thing like i don't understand it doesn't make any sense but then i was like oh that's that's why because he's he this person has a vision that's very much model oriented not story oriented and um, so, and then one other thing back to what Emily was just talking about, about how Peterson helped you ha come back around. We've heard this a lot with a lot of different people. Uh, Laura, Laura from Chicago or from Burlington or whatever had that same, same exact thing. And that's why I was saying like Peterson reminds me of what Zeppelin and, and the Beatles did with blues music. And they brought Christianity, like like those bands brought the blues back to America, mm -hmm. and and then that's kind of what Peterson did uh, for for Christians, and then also ears of people that had no uh, understanding of Christianity and brought like this real lush like uh, uh, spirit, and it was like whoa, you know. And so a lot of us, I mean myself included, well, I wouldn't be mar married or in the church or any of that stuff without without peterson you know and so anyways it wasn't just peterson it's also sam harris and all those guys it's like when you get so far like for me like so i traveled like, so far away to where i was like so immersed in the new atheism stuff and then all of a sudden you hear this voice like a voice crying out in the wilderness i've heard like a million people describe jordan peterson's voice like that it's like all of a sudden like that was the voice that was calling to me and I was like, yeah, that sounds way better than this stuff, you know? 
But and, and Peterson moved, did the thing where he was weaving real nice between story and model, story and model, story and model. And so <clears throat> like he was using a model of psychology, but also he was using the Bible more like a story than a model, which is really interesting. Right, right, <laughs> right. It's kind of cool. All right, guys, I got to get back to work. <laughs> I'm probably get fired. All right, don't don't do that. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd Pat. get fired if I didn't own this place. Yeah, <laughs> Pat, this is the first time I've uh, say a little bit about yourself. Well, I, we did a rando away way back. Uh, well, and I thought I've you looked been, a little familiar. Yeah, yeah, I've just been uh, lurking ever since. Yeah, Paul, I reached out to you recently. I've I've just uh, enrolled at Calvin for an MDiv. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. okay. You're that Pat. I'm that one. Yeah. And well, oh gosh, uh, say a little bit more about that. It's been a long time since I've been out of Calvin Sem. Yeah, sure. So I'm doing the, so folks who might remember or not, I, I, my first uh, career path has been uh, studying music on the double bass and um, sort of struggling to, to make a career out of it in the professional orchestra audition world. And uh, not the first, not for the first time I, um, wondered about doing vocational ministry and, and seminary and all this stuff. So this time around, it seemed like it was time. So I'm still staying in Ottawa. I'm doing their, their hybrid program, um, and sort of watching and waiting to see what comes of it. Uh, any, any impact from this little corner on the students at Calvin seminary? Any, anybody else watch? Well, you're not on campus, so you're a little disconnected probably yeah i'll be going at the end of february so i'll see if we uh if i find anybody in the woodwork we'll see what happens yeah. dale adding the orange crc comment which was a great comment yeah it just reminded me i i hadn't been back to that church for a couple of years and went back there about three months ago i've been going to a lutheran church in dallas area and it, i mean, literally i was up in the front row with my kids who were the first time they were ever in the church and it was just deafening in there. Yeah. I just forgotten yeah. how loud it actually was. A, a few hundred people who can sing and are singing together and are well-led is a, makes a formidable sound. Yeah. I mean, and, and plus it's just, it's normal to be singing four part harmonies. In yeah. the church. That's just everyday occurrence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what you, uh, if you grow up CRC, that's kind of what you grow up with. Um, Pat, Pat, I don't, I'm trying to remember. Did you grow up CRC? No, my, my wife did. I grew up sort of Catholic and then convert, became an evangelical in my twenties. Okay. Yeah. And, and so you, you're, you're worshiping in a CRC? Not at the moment. Um, I'm at a Baptist church right now. Um, one of the worship leaders there too. And yeah, well, uh, I, I intend to, be ordained with CRC. Um, bit of a long story there, I guess, but yeah, that'll be <laughs> that, that that'll 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 bring some interesting questions on your candidacy exam. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm already I'm already in touch with um, with classes, and yeah. Anyway, it's been it's been pretty sweet. They've been very accommodating and and sort of understand where I'm at. I, I'm just not ready to leave yet. Um, that's that's all right. Long and short of it. Alan, Alan, what brings you here? Are, are, are you, are you, do you have enough with the, with the, this little corner belly button introspection? 
Um, I'm getting ready to drop some more enoughs, you know, we're getting ready. Uh, but actually, I mean, sort of branching off of uh, the enough, uh, A, everyone was so incredibly exceptionally kind to me in the comments of my randos. So, you know, I was very thankful for that. But uh, as well, I was kind of doing some reflection after my talk. And I kind of, after speaking with some friends, realized uh, for me, for my personal development, uh, if I'm going to be in the corner anymore, I got to have a voice or you got to get out. Like it's uh, it's one of those things where if I'm just uh, voyeuristically watching other people talk about ideas and, you know, it's actually not good. So and I love the corner so much that I'm like, OK, well, put up or shut up. So, you know, this is me uh, in the corner and there's tons of topics I'd love to talk about. But that's just, uh, I, you know, I saw the chat pop up, pop up. I had no meetings for the next 30 minutes. So, hey, I'm here. I'm putting up or I'm shutting up. So good. Good. Well, I like that. Emily's keeping the camera on the food truck because, of course, we have the um, we have the uh, we have Chad doing his tile. This this actually goes back to the Bridges of Meaning days when I um, I used to just have my camera on in my office and other people would do the same thing. We were just kind of virtually not alone together at work. Here, there, there's a, there's a, there's one of our bigger monsters over here in the um, waiting to be let in. So every, everybody brace yourself because I'm going to let him in. Hang on. Here he comes. The monster's here. <laughs> I liked Judaizing Pharisee a lot better. <laughs> the Jacob Federici. Probably the probably the person that I have had probably the most pleased to ban him from the corner, but here he is. You wouldn't ban me from the corner. I I, I don't want the corner to be the kind of place that I can ban people. Mm. <laughs> the, the fact is, you can ban people. Yeah, but I don't want to. That's what right. makes it fun. But the fact is, I mean. This, this is so people watching you talk about Jacob, I think oftentimes get the wrong idea of our relationship. Could be. Like if you were to say, hey, you shouldn't do that, I would take that seriously. And you know I would. But I don't want to say that to you because I know I want... you, do, you don't. Think. Well, what's wrong with your internet connection today, Jacob? You usually have a good connection. It's it's been since the storm. Oh, that's right. You guys got dumped on in LA. Yeah, the spectrum. Uh, the, yesterday, I barely had internet. But speaking of CRC, next week <laughs> I'm having a discussion about therapy and theology with the Reverend Cedric Parcells. Good. Good. I think Cedric. I think you and Cedric are a good uh, a good pairing in terms of conversation. I like your conversations with Cedric. And I think speaking about this little corner, I think what we really need to talk about is where therapy is different from theology, and the conflation of the two is is Hello? what I think is the problem. Go ahead, Dale. Do you want to say something? Uh, I, I was just thinking about multiple topics: the therapy, theology thing is getting to me. I happen to be going to therapy because of divorce for the last two years type stuff. And they aren't, they aren't anything to do with each other. You know, Correct. One, is, one is how to try and how to understand 
other people's relationship to me at least you know um theology is how i should live my life they're way different things correct but too many people think they're the same i i wouldn't say they're the same but i wouldn't also say they're completely disconnected therapy has a telos um and uh they're not anyway. disconnected because but they're both dealing with the emotional support support systems of the body in a lot of ways I, I think you get a lot of trouble when your therapist becomes your priest or when your priest becomes your therapist. I think you get a lot of trouble that way. Well, well let's let's welcome let's welcome Ash into this. Ash, another major um I think another major Randos conversation. I think especially for a lot of the Protestants, a lot of the reformed people, because there is kind of a complaint that but my channel isn't reformed enough. And uh, Jacob would ironically both agree and disagree with that, but um, <laughs> I don't disagree with that at all. I, 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 I but I, but you also think that there, there that this that reformed Christianity's idolatry. So you both want me to be more of an idolater and less of an idolater at the same time. I'm not here to change you, Paul. I've said that a million times. I don't know. All right, Ash. What what do you have to say for yourself? Well, I, first off, I'd like to clarify something. I'm not sure if I can call myself. Reformed. Order for Christopher. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. You can I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I am. I don't. I, I like to be in the hallway and and look into a lot of denominational doors, uh, and and just stand, stay at the edges of them. I've always been that kind of person from my story you know being an armenian living in a muslim country uh, immigrating I just i'm always on the outskirts of things so i don't feel very comfortable right in the middle of something <laughs> uh, but i i did have a question and i don't want us to come across a mean spirited at all i i'm, I'm really you know we when we talk about uh, religion and uh, worship music styles of you know or church church buildings that were much more, uh, you know, spectacular versus the, uh, you know, the, the high school uh, thing, and the music being more, you know, performative and so on. The other question I have is, there's I think the same thing applies to the teachers themselves. In other words, the level of study that you had to attain and achieve in order to be called a minister was exceedingly high. I mean, my understanding from reading these guys, Harnack and, and Bavink and so on, I mean, you, you, I mean, these were brilliant people. And now, you know, it's, it's very easy to be a pastor. I mean, you could just start a church, just I'm, I'm starting a church next week and have a Facebook ad and, and uh, call up a high school gym, <laughs> gymnasium and, and start services. So, so the, the barrier to entry is very, very low now. Um, and I think, you know, worship was led by the minister. And um, that minister had to know quite a lot of theology, quite a lot of Greek and Hebrew and so on. So, the, you know, if we're going to talk about the music being a little bit more pop, uh, we have to also talk about how the leadership has also been more sort of you know let's say common and there's good and bad in that but i think it's an important aspect that is a huge topic 
because it has everything to do with what you are educated in and into. And the, the for example, in the seeker days, evangelicals are constant. If there's a form of Christianity that is um, deeply impacted by modern psychology, it's evangelicalism. There's probably, I, I'm not going to talk about Jewish groups, but there are probably, but evangelicals study themselves continuously. And one of the big findings during the seeker heyday was theological in education was a negative indicator of pastoral success. Now, mm. you have to ask yourself what all of those metrics are and what they're pointing to. Because a word like success is sort of this word that is uh, a telos in and of itself. But I've th this is this is so, so difficult because it has everything to do with the 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 way that the body of literature connects with the culture that the people are in. For example, if I had a PhD in um, in Georgian studies, that wouldn't help me a lot pastoring at Living Stones. And so, th this is a this is I mean, Ash, that is such a huge, huge topic, and and it's a big deal. And you know, this actually is a topic that Jacob connects with a lot too. Um, because Jacob is someone who, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it has a lot to do with the difference between psychology and, and theology. And I think it has a lot to do with, you know, pop psychology being so common in the church and why, the, uh, you know, what do, what do aspiring pastors do when they want to hone their skills? They watch TED Talks and they, they look at all the top 10 TED Talks and how well they performed and they try to get their intonation and their timing and their pace. And, you know, so no wonder you sound like a TED Talk and no wonder the, 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 uh, not you, not personally, I'm just saying, you know, young pastors, no wonder it sounds like a TED Talk and, and no wonder it's, uh, the complaint is I'm, I'm going to listen to a TED Talk at church. But, but you wouldn't say that most evangelical preaching, well, boy, that's, I mean, it's, I mean, TED Talks are basically a style of rhetoric that is actually probably at this point uh, losing its luster because it's been memed. It's overdone, yeah. Um, whereas there was, there was also before the TED Talk in the, in the CRC, there was what was sometimes called the, the Prechtone, which mm -hmm. was the preacher's voice. And if you were preaching, you sounded like something. And it was Phlebas here in the corner that said, you know, when he first learned, oh, there's a Christian Reformed minister on YouTube who's gotten some traction. You know, Phlebas's first instinct was, that's the last guy I ever want to listen to. Because there was a tradition in which that minister spoke. And, you know, but part of the fun thing about for me about Jacob and why I like having Jacob around is Jacob gives unfiltered opinions on various, always unfiltered opinions on various elements of, let's say what's going on in Jewish communities. And, you know, and Jacob's own, one, one of the interesting things that's happening now and where Ash, you and Jacob both have interesting stories 
is that you've got you're you're both people who grew up in Islamic societies as minorities. So to be Jewish in Iran after the Iranian Revolution, <laughs> think about that. To be, um, you know, to be Armenian in Egypt at once it starts creeping away. You know, it's Egypt, of course, was part of that big secularization of Islam after the First World War. And then, you know, as the 20th century and into the 21st century, increasing Islamic identification. So there, there's so many subtleties in all of these systems. The difficulty is we 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 have to work with such low resolution tools. Well, I, I will be the first to admit it's far easier to be an Armenian in Egypt than Jewish guy in, in, in uh, so yeah. <laughs> well, depends when, but yes, more recently, yes. But um, I think one thing Paul um, through Aaron Wren really pointed out was evangelical Christians are starting to have to understand what it's like to live in a negative culture, in a culture that is actively opposed to what you believe. And that's, I mean, that really is what, when the woke talk about privilege, right? It's, it's not like they don't have any like it's not like they're only talking of uh ridiculous stupidities there is such a thing as privilege now it's that doesn't mean i agree with everything else they say about it but evangelicals are losing their privilege in the united states they just are i i think it's i think it's more complex than that because of the relationship between the mainline and the evangelicals because what, what the American culture war has long been is a fight between these two aspects of civilizational Christianity, Protestant civilizational Christianity in the United States. And um, so, and, and a lot of what people are looking at are at these boundary markers, but of course, boundary markers are always a product of selection. So... It, no, and and I I agree with I agree with Aaron's book. The question is just going to be, it's really hard somehow associating the the what it's like to be an evangelical in America with what it's like being a Jew in Tehran. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> evangelical. I, I, I hate to say it, Paul, but um, I do see our culture possibly going. I'm, I'm not saying it's likely to happen, but I'm saying that there we definitely are at a point where at least some people uh, burn want to burn down churches, and and they will. I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation. So one of the videos that's in the membership section that Jacob will not watch because he won't give any money to YouTube. You can grab one of up up. You can grab one of those gift memberships and, and go see it, Jacob. I think they're all gone. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, is and I'll probably release it soon. Is my conversation with John Lumgar, who is doing jazz cow, um, but we get into what I got into a little bit with Elizabeth Oldfield about what it's like to be a Christian 
and England. Because that was fascinating how if you go to church and you believe stuff about Jesus that are sort of crunchy Christian stuff and you're in England, you might not get a promotion or a job if people find out you go to church, even though it's a country with a state church. I mean, it's just fascinating how nuanced these these things are. And so I, I think... I think a lot of American evangelicals are getting kind of like crybabies right now. Um, they don't have it very hard. They really don't. It's relative. It, really it is, is relative. It's relative. And, and if you're used to, I mean, yes, I remember in Iran as a child going to a Jewish school where we had to, uh, to have classes on how Islam is correct and Judaism is wrong. That was a Jewish school, right? Mm -hmm. And so imagine sending your kids to a, a, a school that tells you, right, that it, that teaches that your religion is wrong. Well, of course, we would never put up with that here in the United States. It would be intolerable. But that's because we're used to something that I, I think is much better. And so, yeah, we are getting... Um, yeah, that's funny. Uh, uh, Joy says, uh, um, I, I am kind of talking Gad Sadish. I really am. Because Gad Sad, like me, has a very similar experience. And I don't want to see Christians in the United States to go through what minority religions in Muslim states do. And that's where we're headed if we're not paying attention. I think that the difficult questions are what with, I know I get a, I get some pushback with this recession of, of, of modernity. What does, what does state religion look like in a post secular world? Because a lot of what you're pushing against Jacob Islam, you know, basically the Iranian revolution was ahead of their time compared to what's happening with Christianity in America. And that's where I can see your point. Did, did you know that Michel Foucault was a big proponent of the Islamic revolution in Iran? And as were the French intellectuals and the postmodernists? That's interesting. It's and and the fact is the woke in the united states have been in bed with islamism which i have to say to be fair to the muslims islamism is not islam it really is not and what we are seeing with islamism growing in muslim uh, countries is is actually the exportation of postmodernist ideas into Islam. So don't think that Islam is, is some sort of outside thing that is just creeping in without being affected by Western culture. It is. And this is part of what makes me so anti-woke. Okay. All right. Well, th there's a reason Jacob's a monster. 
and a, and I think a good one um, because he uh, has has a lot of influence and speaks very strongly. I, I Dale, I don't know if we've heard. I don't know if you had something in particular you wanted to bring into the conversation. No, not particular. It's just I was happened to have a little bit of free time, so I jumped in. Okay, good. Michael or Andrew. Andrew, you come into these things and you seldom say too much. Yeah, I just wait around for people to stop talking. <laughs> That's yeah, you, that, that that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, um okay. Especially you're used to you're used to Jacob streams, so uh that mm -hmm. never happens in Jacob streams. Well, sometimes. <sighs> I'm did, sick you want, of the dog. did you want to throw anything in here, Andrew? A super random question. What happened to the puppies, man? Like, those are oh. the highlights of your stream, man. My puppy is in prison. Oh. So there is a um, part of the puppy raising program that I participate in. Uh, they have prisoners in Stockton who raise the puppies. for So, so she's in the prison for a month. And... Um, and then she, um, and then we'll get her back. So, um, which is good because we don't have any other puppies in the house. And this dog gets very excited around other dogs. So having a little bit more opportunity to live with some other dogs and some other people uh, will be helpful for her training. But we will get her back. So, huh? this guy's only due to the rubber chicken. Yeah. <laughs> See, I can't put Kermit and some of the Muppets up there because once these really smart Sony cameras recognize a face, then I'll be blurry. So, um, Michael, what, what do you have to say? Uh, well, I got to go back and listen to most things. But I just I jumped in right when Ash um, he asked his question or, you know, talking about, uh, you know, this is the stuff that I'm thinking about all the time. And, uh, just as far as what's going on with evangelicalism and, you know, the changing landscape of all this stuff. So, um, you know, I think it's, 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 it's interesting how it is important for us to think of these kind of society, societal levels about these things. But then on the other hand, like, you know, with my project, I, I'm, uh, my my trade school project i'm like officially uh prototyping it or whatever so i got a, a kid who's coming with me two days a week you know and so it's like that's one person that i have to you know focus on the issues going on in, in his life and 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 and, it, and it's you know and it's been helpful for me too to kind of just you know hear the the troubles that um young people are struggling with and, and figuring out how to proceed into the future. And I think, I guess it took me a while to kind of figure out, but like the, the with the symbolic thing of like Pajot, um, his whole like worldview. And actually I, I really like James Jordan better if anybody's listened to his um, stuff, but it's really good at helping to, retranslate these truths into whatever new context people are um, encountering. And so, um, you know, I, so I, I just, you know, I think we can, we can never stay on the mountain. We always have to recalibrate and look at what's going on and, and figure out what's, you know, what's working and what's not working. And, but we, but with the mind of like, what is, what is the permanent goals? And it should be more than just, 
you know, getting people in the seats. It should be for their long-term success and, and benefit. So. Okay. I, I just got the message that someone is trying to enter the studio and we already have 10 people. So uh, I'll, I'll leave because I got to go listen to the beginning of the stream. So, okay. Good to, good to see you all. All right, Michael. Pat, you had a question that you dropped in the chat. You want to, you want to raise it? Yeah. Do you, do you know too many CRC pastors who led the band at the same time? No. As being ministers? No. no. I know of at least one up in, up in Canada, but I was curious if it's common. I know a few. Um, um, why can't I think of his name? Uh, he was he was the music director at Granite Springs, and now he's pastoring in Chicago. Mm. Um, he's a great musician. There, there, there are all there are all there are usually a few, um, and churches love it if they can kind of get two for one. Mm. So, in terms of getting a job after seminary, having musical skills, yeah, that'll that'll give you a leg up. But my, my primary concern, like then it just becomes the, the one guy show, you know, like that's, that's the, the yeah, the steep slope, you know, and, and to get into, to get into Ash's um, question about education and theology churches, there, there, there have been like the, the guy who had this, this church before me, he was known for spending 40 hours a week on his sermons and and he he actually died young he had cancer he died young not in this church but in the church he left this church after three years to a bigger pulpit because he had such beautifully well-crafted sermons and in fact uh when he died they put together a book of his sermons i've never read it i i guess they were great sermons but the the question then is okay how the church didn't grow. The church, well, the church hasn't grown. And the church, the, under me, the church has been through some weird stuff because I'm weird. But um, so it's it, it really gets into the the question of what a church is. Is a church a theological storehouse that dispenses nuggets to the world? Is um, to how does how does theology? How do theology and how does theology actually form? So, I mean, it was, it was very interesting going when I visited Willow Creek, not Willow Creek, but uh, Saddleback in the late 90s. Uh, Andrew, you should mute if you're going to walk around because you're kind of there you go. Um, uh, Rick Warren saying that basically, you know, his church plant was doing OK, but when he brought in his worship leader, that's when the thing exploded. Which I think gets back to Sam's observation that in many Protestant churches, especially mega churches, music is the psychotechnology that is carrying a lot of transformation. And if you listen to preaching in a lot of mega churches, this this points to Ash, your point. Um, I mean, some mega church preaching can be a mile wide and an inch deep. And I so one of the most successful Christian Reformed churches that was a church plant in the Seeker days, I got to be careful with names, but um, I talk, the pastor left the church. He was tremendously successful. The church under him grew. NFL players were going to it. It had great music, all of this stuff in an area of this, that the CRC would not, would likely not have grown in. And I, the pastor stepped down and went away. And so then I looked him up because I wanted to talk to him about it. And he basically said, you know, 
I was I was heralded as um, you know some kind of star, and my church was a mile wide and an inch deep, and I couldn't take it anymore, so I had to get out of the ministry. And he did; he got out of the ministry. Yeah, so I, I think this stuff is super complex. I wanted to add something. Uh, so I was going to say one of the ways that churches I think are dealing the church that I'm in right now and like maybe North Point, Maine out of Atlanta. So they started franchising, you know, kind of their churches. And so this is how they're dealing with the shortage of pastors is they're just bringing in people who are good at speaking. Um, and then they have kind of the sermons are prepackaged and like they'll they'll fill in their parts and kind of make it their own. But maybe this is a secret. I don't know if this is a secret that people just don't know. I didn't know. Like, so when people told me this is how it works now, it's like, so that way you make sure that theologically you're in line because there is kind of like a main, like overarching, um, I don't know, authority over the messaging. Um, and they even have like the, the images, the themes, all that stuff is all prepackaged. And so it kind of takes that load off of the churches and helps them, I guess, Spread more. I, I really don't know, but just so you know, like that is happening. I don't know if y'all know that. So ju just a, a <clears throat> comment to build off of what you were saying, Paul. I, I'm not. I, I don't. I don't think I'm talking about the high level of education of of generations past pastors, in in um, sort of like a credentialed way of what, what what's your job is, is to disseminate information. I think I'm talking about it the way Jordan Peterson talks about the importance of young people to go to college. It's because what it does is it shows employers that you're able to stick to something, you're able to commit, you're able to come on time, leave on, you know, and so on. So, so it has to do with uh, the centered set, the, the idea that that you have committed to something, you've committed to a denomination, you've committed to a, a, a set a of presuppositions, a tradition, and you are going to stay faithful to that tradition. And I think contrast that with the recent study that came out in uh, 2022. I think you talked about this. The, uh, the the American Worldview Inventory, uh, where the I think it was the Arizona Christian University Cultural Research Center, they discovered they did this survey and they discovered that 37% of uh, slightly more than a third, 37% possess a biblical worldview. Um, the majority, 62%, hold a hybrid worldview known as syncretism, and this is referring to pastors, evangelical pastors in America. So you know, Emily's comment really concerns me because if if it's just about your ability to, to present, that seems, I mean, that seems really terrifying because the, the pastoring isn't just give a message. The pastoring is talking with people one-on-one -on -one afterwards. And what are you telling them if you're not giving them biblical worldview? And, what, and if you're giving them pop psychology as opposed to finding things that you read in the Bible meshing with the advice that's given? Yeah. Frankly, another ver another that, version of uh, that here. is uh, like satellite churches uh, streaming the same sermon across all their locations. And then they have like a local pastor who's not necessarily talking, but he's doing all those other things. I, I went to a church like that for two years and I, I could not understand it for two years. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there. Why am I here watching a video? I don't get this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yet here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's Sunday morning. There's a big difference. <laughs> well, no, well, well, my question, sorry, Paul, I think you're a little bit incorrect because we're actually interacting more than people do to to that video screen. Right. So that interaction, I mean, like, 
what would a culture look like if in order for a culture to be maintained, you had to pay someone to maintain the culture? Like that's part of the issue that's going on and why I think house church is becoming, uh, it's rising, what people trying to educate themselves. It, it's unstable if our education is based on institutions that are just based on jobs, financial margins. How, how do we get? I, I want to make a comment to everybody who's here. We're, we're going to go into what I call fishbowl mode, which is what we did in, in Germany in the breakwater thing. We're up, we've got more people who want to come in. So if you're mostly here to listen, you should probably listen online, but if you've got points you want to make, stay in the pool. So that way we can make room for, for, for people to get in and I, get out. I want to, I want to recognize David Salverta. So I'm not the only Christian reform minister. Um, in the, David uh, and I had Orando's chat on the same day. And uh, David, when I was looking into Calvin, I church shopped y'all's church. I mean, like virtual, like poking my head in. And I, you're leading worship there at the same time, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's why I came in. I was like, you asked the question about, uh, yeah, preaching and worship leading. And uh, yeah, I basically do that every week. Yeah. Yeah. My, my in-laws live up in your area. So I was, I was hoping to connect with you one of these days. But... Oh, yeah, do it. Be great. Oh. What do, what do you think of, uh, so we got another worship leader here who is now a nurse. Um, so what, yeah, what do you so think, David? I, was, I mean, oh, go ahead. Um, about, uh, sorry, <laughs> about what? <laughs> I, I'm coming in a little late. I, I haven't heard everything. Um, well, there's the tension between the worship, the... There's a real tension in Protestant churches. Uh, Sam earlier was talking about the fact that, uh, I mean, music, and I would I would argue that in many Protestant churches, you've got two very competing psychotechnologies. You've got preaching, which of course is embedded in a tradition. And really what education tries to do is deeply embed people within a tradition, make people uh, competent within a tradition and hopefully maintain the tradition. That's really what education wants to do. But then you've got this other competing thing in Protestant churches, which is music. And part of what happened in the Christian Reformed Church during the worship wars in the 80s and 90s is that people would get upset with their church either because they did uh, go to drums and guitars or they didn't go to drums and guitars. And so then they would leave the church and they would often go to churches that, in terms of the theological tradition, were not anywhere near the Christian Reformed Church. And they're, they're angry at the Christian Reformed Church for either changing or not changing. And then they would go to a Baptist church. And the Christian Reformed ministers would look and say, huh, well, some of them were angry. But, but a better position would be to stop and look and say, well, that's interesting. So what really are the people here for? I would, I would say a few things. One, back to Emily's comment about uh, North Point's model for, uh, you know, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church was started because they wanted to evangelize the West. And the, and the mainline Presbyterian Church wanted to make sure everyone went to Princeton before they went and evangelized the West. So 
I don't see what North Point's doing as quite the same thing because I think that the comments that Emily was making when she was 12 about maintaining, like about church buildings plays into North Point's model as well. So, which, I mean, that could have been the case for the Presbyterian, you know, institution 100 years ago as well. But I think that's, is evangelism the mission, blah, blah, blah. The other, the other side of the coin is about, it's another psychotechnology with the language that theologically from the top down, living in the low church for most of my life, you have to think about what it does to people if you actually believe that there's a sacrament. And you also have to think about what do you believe that is preaching a sacrament. And actually some of Calvin's early teachings, when he talks about the logos, he actually makes that argument. But you have to, the people, people's like culture, top down culture defines everything. You don't even know what's going on in your brain. But like, if you believe that, that you're, you're eat, like, okay, there's levels of it. Do you believe that you're eating the body and blood of Christ? Do you believe that there's something spiritual and mysterious happening? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Is it just a symbol? Okay, we have to put our attention towards the sacred somewhere. And so, you know, what's been the most powerful emotive thing in American pop culture in the last hundred years has been rock music, you know, culturally. And I think that what's been lost in that attempt to find the sacred was to run after the transcendent. But those two things are separate. And if you're looking for the transcendent, you can find it in rock music, but you aren't going to find something sacred. And I think that that's the anemia that generate, like mm-hmm. that I feel from my culture of growing up is an anemia for what is sacred. And I think that's the push towards orthodoxy and, and mainline Catholicism and all that stuff. Versus people who still find a lot of transcendence in rock music, which my myself am included in that as well. So there's a tension there is the transcendent versus sacred. And that's all I want to say. I got to get back to work. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Christian. I'd like to make kind of another point there. Um, you were a little earlier, we were talking about there being a division between on one hand preaching and on the other hand music. But I think you have something else that runs through both of those where you've got kind of participation versus um, spectacle is not quite the right word. It's a little too divisive a term. But, um, you know, I felt like, um, so I come from the Methodist church, and the church I went to as a kid, I loved the way they did the music. Um, It was mostly old hymns, which I quite liked. I always hated it when they changed any of the words or anything. to make them more PC or they wouldn't take out, they'd take out like the verse that had all the blood and guts in it, which were always the ones I thought were cool. Um, but, you know, um, and then they did do a fair amount of having a band usually playing. Um, I suppose looking back, it would be pretty, uh, influenced by like the black church um the type of music they did there but there's that big difference between i feel like a lot of those songs that were written for a whole congregation to sing and then where it's like this is something that a good vocalist could really knock out of the park but in terms of everybody in the congregation sitting in the pews there's like you're not part of it in the same way. And I feel like 
I've only been to one a couple times. I went to kind of a mega church that my uh, one set of grandparents would go to that my family uh, jokingly referred to as Latte Lutheran because they had a coffee shop. Um, but it was very much, you know, stadium seating and the whole worship leaders thing, which is totally foreign to my experience. Um, but for it was far more, you know, something you were watching rather than something I felt like you were per you were participating in as audience more than you were participating as a participant. And, um, you know, I think that probably cuts into the preaching, too, in some ways. I mean, that canned uh, screen of somebody else preaching that's not even there coming in seems real strange. Anyway, that was the only thing I kind of noticed that uh, I think there's a lot of tension there in the music. Uh, from my end, I feel like my concern with the real big sound stuff is the congregations becoming more of an audience, less of a congregation. So to so add to know. Samuel's, <clears throat> to add to what Samuel was, was saying and to what Dale said earlier, I, I, I go to, I have a good friend who's a pastor at an OPC church and I attend there sometimes. And the thing they do there, they have an organ and, and they rely on this one hymnal book. And the thing they do in Sunday school is they teach their congregation how to sing the song, how, how to actually mm -hmm. do the hymn. It's not very, it's mm -hmm. not easy. And, and it takes, it takes a, a, a group that is willing to go through the slow process of learning it so that they can do it well on a Sunday. You never see that in, in, in a, in a, you know, standard Baptist kind of evangelical. It's, it, the music is meant to be like, I can jump in and start singing it right away. Yeah type of thing. Yeah, so so you don't get the, 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 the Dale's experience of this deafening sound by just, you know, just random people showing up and picking up the book and singing their hearts out. You you develop that as a community. That's, that's a mm -hmm. very important point. Yeah, and I suppose that's where having like a choir too, um, that's singing along with everybody else kind of at least gives you some of that momentum that people that don't know as much what they're doing can oh i can kind of follow them that's right so um, the steep slope as a so, yeah so paul talks yeah. about the steep slope and 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 the uh the shallow the slope, gentle incline gentle incline yeah. you know what's yeah. fascinating is that in in some respects they have a very shallow slope because they're making it very easy for people to participate in the evangelical churches but they're very steep yeah. when it comes to their presuppositional you know you have to adhere to these to these truths uh then the vice versa on on you know some of the let's say mainline churches might be more shallow slope but they're very steep when it comes to the the the, the production that happens within church and charlie I, brown I, we got we gotta get charlie brown in this um i've, I've, been, hey I've been pumping your video not enough people are watching your channel you're doing good work there i don't know if, oh, well, i don't know where uh, you want to come into this conversation up. or another no, I can add something to that conversation, actually, because I'd like to add maybe the German perspective or the European view on it. And you had a lot of um, uh, insight on that already when you were in Europe. And you always said you you can't uh, quite get why there's so little Christianity in Europe left, uh, except for the architecture. 
And so I have a very low bar of expectation when we look at church and whether it's preaching or it's music. I mean, in a beautiful uh, old cathedral, sometimes only 30 to 50 people sing the old hymns, which can be beautiful, but at times you don't hear it because there's just few, too few people in, in the whole building. And on the other hand, if you look at the small congregations we have of evangelical churches, they also have like 30 to maybe 70 people there at best. You have to drive for one and a half hours to find a church that has more than 200, 300 churchgoers every Sunday. I don't have one single friend, uh, close friend, or maybe even not so close friend that goes to church once a week. At best, some of the family members go to church every two or three months. So we have very low expectations about what to expect both from the church and from the church going people. And in that sense, it's amazing to look at all the discussions that are taking place in this little corner and on the BOM because there's so much diversity in the US spectrum on not just Protestantism, but also Catholic church going people and the author bros, which is even a smaller uh, uh, thing in Europe. It's, it's very small in the US already, but in Germany, it's like almost inexistent. But we have several very prominent members of the German estuary that are orthodox or orthodox leaning. So I'm always wondering how can we actually transport what we learn and what we listen to in this little corner to the very specific European setting that is totally secular, where it's already weird when you say you're a Christian. And you belong to the very weird Christians if you go to church every Sunday. And that Secular. makes it pretty difficult to actually find the, the through line in all of these discussions that I'm listening to and then importing them or exporting them rather to the real life and what do I make of it. It's it's not as if there are so many church adjacent people in around yes. At least it seems like that. And that makes it very fruitful to to be part of this little corner and at the same time pretty frustrating because we would we would be in dire need of so many of you soldiers out there getting over here to germany and helping us out solving the meaning crisis and as i said it's a very low bow that we're working from already one of the things in the lutheran church that i found different than the crc and similar is that the crc is very much education orientated that we always bring up private schools associated with the Christian school and in the Lutheran church I'm here a member of they attach the church right the school right to the church well I'm, I'm 63 but I happen to have a 12 10 and 8 year old children um, all my kids are attending the Lutheran school but they're learning all the Lutheran songs right in chapel every morning so it, it became surprising at 10 years old suddenly they're singing the hymns as loud as I am in church it's one of the things that continued it. The other thing, you guys seem to be talking about only the singing versus the preaching of the word. And there's a lot more to, I experience in my um, church in the Lutheran stuff versus the CRC, which is the liturgy stuff. For instance, we have communion every, every Sunday, except for the, when there's five Sundays in a month. Um, the, the form of worship is much more strict. We do the exact same things we always did in the CRC, but here it's implemented right into their hymnal in five different worship services type stuff. 
We go through the, all the exact same things we did in the CRC, but it's much more formalized, much more ritualized than just just the singing and just the preaching was in the CRC. And Dale, how do you like just a quick question? How do you like that? The I like I like you, much more than I did in the CRC. Um, it it I. It, it just it, it absorbs you a little bit more somehow. You sort of know what to expect. Everybody's sort of there. The communion every every week I like much more. It's just really be, makes you feel a part of everybody else at the same time. Yeah, that's interesting because I'm going to do a. I've I've been motivated. The preacher in me has come out, Paul. <laughs> I, but I just have this PVK monologue sort of thing that I want to do. I want to do a grill country, and I'm going to invite my friend Nick Free Rillian. Because I want to have this conversation. Because really, the really what is what are we going to do with the church in America? Like, what is it? Because we see these demographics, we see the collapses, we have seen all these other different sorts of movements. I uh, and I want to share some of my bona fides. For like the past ten years, I've got some writings, and I was doing these devotional guides. Because what I was trying to call people was into was a daily practice, like to get into this daily practice of prayer and some of these other sorts of things. And I was doing it in a very evangelical context. And, you know, for me, uh, the interesting thing is here's what I think estuary is going to be really good for. Um, there are a lot of you could use an example in 12 step groups or AA. if it was explicitly Christian, people wouldn't go to it because they have issues with that. Right. And so you need to have them to come into that place in that space. And I think as we're moving into this culture that a lot of people want to have these conversations, um, they're they're seeking something. They're seeking God. They're seeking something. And estuary is the place that is when more and more people identify as nuns, when more and more people want to have these conversations, when they're seeking these things out. Estuary, if they build this out, something like this is going to capture a lot of the people. But in the same way, estuary is not church. So what will happen yeah. to people, it's the same thing that happens to people in AA. What will happen is, is, is if you become a Christian, let's just say Christian, if you become a Christian, you know what you do, then you go to church. And so when Paul says go to church, when 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 um, Pajot says go to church, you know, that that's what will happen. And I think one of the things I want to explore is, is you know, this has been fascinating. Uh, it's been listening to all this is I, I think I have an inkling, having been out trying to plant house church and been in all the different sorts of movements and everything else. Um, I think I, I, I'm, I'm going to propose uh, something that I think that probably would happen. And it's more around that liturgical route, Dale. And the question I have is, is like right now we're building the church for the crowd, but the Jesus, like Paul mentioned this earlier, I mean, he was suspicious of the crowd. Should, should we build the church for the crowd or build the church for the faithful? Yeah. And the faithful. Um, well, I mean, the history is not the church, right? as you said, right? I can just tell you my experience with the, the mega church type stuff. I just a couple times, I think it's called Gateway here in Dallas, is a very large church. And just been went to it with a friend a couple times. I mean, Quite frankly, it just I had a turn off revulsion to it. I don't know exactly why, but it, it just felt like I was going to a, a concert, not a worship service. I was going to a show instead of being part of something. Is what well, I but felt. but yeah. still you have what you can say is at least from my perspective across the ocean is if you judge them by their fruits, it's astonishing how much Christianity is still left in the US, even though there is a meaning crisis and there's secularization. But so so in a sense, even if it's a concert taking place, at least it's a concert with Christian songs. 
and people are going there and talking not just about the music, but they are being involved in something that is more than just themselves. So in a sense, they are opening themselves already up to something that is above them. And so that's what I meant with the low bar. With the low bar, I mean, I don't have, I have so little expectations that I would be happy if at, if that would at least be taking place regularly in a certain size in an area that I can actually drive to with my family without taking two hours or three hours. That would be wonderful, and it's not happening. So in a sense, I can understand that it's frustrating in the U.S. to see. Well, I don't think this is church anymore. I think this is just show. But that's, it, not, that's not what I'm saying, by the way. I'm just describing how it, it you know, you got to understand. I come out of a background where I was going to church twice, twice every, uh, every Sunday since I was okay, right? Born, yeah. Okay? So how it, how I feel about it, somebody else coming from the outside feels about it, are going to be night and day different exposures. Yeah. 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 And I, I uh, agree with Lance, and you both said. I mean, I'm I personally, I'm I'm decidedly Christian. I'm kind of becoming Catholic. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm more than halfway there. I've been going to Mass almost every Sunday or almost every week uh, for over a year now, been participating for the second time in Exodus 90 program, um, and have realized for myself that I found truth in the sacrament of the Eucharist and, and the utmost reality in, in the sacrament of the Eucharist. And you can think that's propositional. To me, it was a totally... A participatory aspect that since I've been participating in it, I, I every time I partake of it, I have to cry because it's like a healing procedure that is taking place in me through the Eucharist that I'm participating in. And I can't explain it because I come from an evangelical background that has absolutely no understanding of, of this kind of yeah. Eucharist. And so, so I think there's there's more truth to, to uh, liturgy and to sacrament, definitely. But as Lance said, we have this kind of church adjacent estuary. And I would like to take the estuary also to Germany and say, we open it up to everyone that's in a meaning crisis, independent of their faith, independent of sacraments, independence of whether they go to church or not. Actually, I want to treat those people that are decidedly atheist as those that have to be taken care of the most because they bring fresh water in the estuary. Are yeah, you I'm wondering, and I don't know, I don't know to what extent this is part of the problem that we're all talking about, is that we are all people in transition. Like, I, everyone I know who is a real practicing Catholic wasn't raised Catholic. I know a lot of Anglicans who are very, very big on the Anglican Church, or I guess Episcopalian for Paul. And none of them, none of them were raised. Yeah, so, I was talking to my mom, I was talking to my mom last night. She was sharing with me memories of her uh, mother walking her through Eucharist at church and and seeing someone uh, receive it in the wrong way, and she thought in her in her mind that that person was going to hell. And so she's she's just allergic to all this stuff. Like if if I tried to go anywhere yeah. near that, it would be no go. Well, and I'm I'm wondering for the group what it looks like, because we're all transitionary characters. We're not people who matured in a tradition. Like even even for me, like I converted twenty years ago, and that's half my life ago. But that's still like I don't have the experience of growing up in a tradition, it deafening and meaning something to me. I had to convert in order, to, like even to move from Catholicism 
to whatever it is that I am now. Um, and like, I even think that's part of um, Paul's interest in those people who want to just are talking about birth rates and everything. Like the biggest problem is how do you repeat culture? How do you, well, I mean, that is what culture is. Culture is like culture and yogurt, right? Something that grows and continues. And it feels like a lot of the culture is dead and requires non-original members to know what's good about it. <laughs> it's yeah. like, how do we get ourselves to like the thing that we're actually in? Well, I, I think, um, thank you, David. Uh, I, and this goes back to Lance's point. I think a lot of like humility about the corner. I think that a lot of like thing people think something big's going to happen. No, you're going to do something small. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> you, the, yeah. Oh, and then the secret church of the corner comes down and saves every. It's like if you can't go to church, go to estuary. If there's no estuary, you start the estuary. Like guys, there's no like we are the hands and feet of Christ. Like I, I don't know what else. Like. Like anytime people are like the big things coming, there's going to be a, you know, 200 foot tall Jordan Peterson who crushes all our enemies. And, you know, like he's going to be Godzilla. It's like, guys, it's us. If you I'm literally yeah. at a church, not a lot of creative people. I'm a little more on the creative side. I'm literally thinking with I have one friend who likes movies and we're going to show him movies that aren't fully Christian, but have Christian themes. And I'm like, can I start to get people thinking about symbolism? That's it. The homework is, do you know what a symbol is? It's not like the Pajoian symbol is in, in transcendence with the non-inferior. I'm just like, let's just talk what a symbol is. It's like when, they, when the disciples meet Christ on the, road, on the road after the crucifixion. They don't know him by sight. They know him because of the way that he taught them. And they say that was Christ. And it's like, if we can understand that verse, if we can understand how do we see Christ in all things, it's like you don't need to cover everything in scripture or Bible verse. So... My point, sorry, not to go on a ramble, but like, it's like, yeah, go to estuary. If there's no estuary, start one. Go to church. Start your little small group at church where you talk about Bible study or watch movies or guys like we're the whole point of us being aware, in my opinion, the whole point of us being this level of aware and thinky talky is that we can revivify the culture and play a role, not so that we can turn other people into thinky talky people but we can like get in there and be the hands and feet and wash the feet of the others in a way that we're, we have access to. So, you know, it's just, and this is how you create an awesome yeah. ramble for the clip reapers. <laughs> Great stuff, Alan. No. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Uh, I think Steven. what concerns me about the transitionary kind of space and this talk of transitionary and, I, and I'm all for exploring new ideas and <clears throat> making things work. Uh, but I'm, I mean, you, you have to think about a spouse and you have to think about well, how do you live out your Christian life with your spouse? And you have to think about children in the future and raising them and, and, and what tradition are you going to raise them in? And you can't, you can't take a five-year-old child and say, okay, uh, we're Catholic for a couple of years and now we're Orthodox and now we're evangelical and now we're <laughs> reformed. You, you just, you can't take them through those transitions. It's too much. So you, you have to be very careful with uh, picking a tradition and, and sticking with a tradition, even when it's not maybe serving you as much anymore, that this is the, the aspect of sacrifice as well, that, that, you know, when we try to go towards, yeah, wonderful. When we, when we try to go towards, you know, seeking for, for truth and, and saying, well, this doesn't work for me. I want to change. 
well, yeah, at what point do you, you know, do you have to be willing to go through the suffering of, of, of maintaining relationships with that community, with the, with the body of believers through that uh, time of maybe it's, it's just not up to par. It's not up to my taste anymore. It was fine for me for a while. It's not, any, you know, you, you, you can't have traditions that maintain for generations if you are going to just walk away from it if it doesn't serve you. So, yeah, but that's Protestant. I, that's the Protestant ethic, though. I mean, to be really honest, I mean, that's that's what Protestantism is. I mean, you think about all the schisms and the divisions and mm. different sort of denominations, all that stuff. I mean, that's the that's the spirit of kind of what we have. And I you know I agree at the same time, like I'm sure a lot of people have been through here. A lot of people have had their church collapse on them, even if they're in a non-denominational situation. Like there's a falling out with the lead pastor and then you had all your kids there and then all of a sudden that church falls apart. I mean, there's a lot of, and, and when you don't have a denomination that's going to keep like Paul's corner of Sacramento open, which is like, you, for example, that's the one thing that's really scary about this vocational and the main lines and everything going away is <clears throat> there was just some stability in, you know, Paul could put himself on a corner and, you know, there, hey, if there was discipline and they, if Paul would have had an affair with an elder, you know what? They would have put another CRC pastor in there, you know, something like that. That stuff happens. You know what I'm talking about? But, but see, the, 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 that place and that space just has some stability. And, you know, we've talked about that. And that's, that's, kind of going, that's kind of going away. And the interesting thing, which is, and this is the thing I've been wrestling with, is I see a lot of my, um, <clears throat> a lot of my best friends that are still doing house church context and everything else. Someone mentioned earlier. There's this drawback to sacramentality in the Eucharist. Even someone like Francis Chan, who was, he's my, he's my spirit pastor, evangelical pastor. I love Francis. I watched everything he's ever done. He started opening up dialogues with, uh, you know, looking at early church fathers and thinking about, wait a minute, I think we've lost something in the sacrament of the Eucharist and these sorts of things. But, but it would appear what Paul would realize is <clears throat> the only thing that seems to draw people right now is you need to have a rock star preacher who quite frankly, it's better if he's really a TEDx sort of a guy with a coffee shop and an amazing rock band. And you're going to put people in the seats. But the question I've always been struggling with throughout, <clears throat> and I'm going to get my, I'm, I have a whole thing on this. I'm thinking about, it. I've been 10 years trying to do it is that that's not really producing disciples. Like it's not producing practices in people that takes them to that next level. That was the struggle I was, was having my whole time. And it, that's what we're, faced with right now and i i still think like i make my speech that this is an online space and it is and we're online people but what paul is what paul's i i'm guessing what paul is i've been watching it but he knows where what's going to happen to the church because we have this old demographic they're going to die there's no fresh the, that, that not having any babies to support a society you're seeing that at the main line and as soon as these people die off those churches aren't going to have any and in an increasingly post-Christian culture, as we're moving towards more nuns and everything else, this space where people can come into estuary and they're seeking God, but when they're coming into estuary and they don't know what they're doing yet, you're going to meet people and have conversations. And then eventually they'll find whatever church is going on. But this, this space, and it's going to take a while to build this. It's hard to plant and build things. It's just really hard. But this estuary 15 years down the road is going to provide a place where people who are having these questions and all these concerns are going to be able to come and seek God. It's there's a 
I mean, one of the things that we've I've seen in this conversation, which has been very, been very interesting, is that people are noting that in many ways you need a whole bunch of things to actually have a functioning church, a functioning Christian culture. These things have to be maintained. They also you still have the chaos and order thing that if the if it gets too stale, um, I mean, there's all of this going on. And so what we're sort of doing as a body, because remember the church is a body of Christ that has many members. And the eye does not say to the nose, you know, all of this, we're, we're processing all of this in time. And part of what, you know, there's been so much disruption in terms of culture and uh, what technology has done in globalization that the church is continuing to sort of figure its way through. Do we need educated clergy? Yes. Are all educated clergy educated in the same way? Well, probably not. Do we need fellowship? Yes. Do we need uh, worship that that feels transcendent? Yes. Do we need um, Eucharist? Yes. I mean, we need all of these things. And then what you begin to see is that Christ works through all of this stuff. Uh, Hank, who is you know one of our favorite trolls in this corner, uh, Sam's friend, um, he made the comment when in in one of the videos, I think it was my video. It's not published on the full channel yet. With, um, you know, God, God is a as a parent, God believes in rough and tumble play with his children, and I thought <laughs> that's really good because it's very clear. You can't look at the first three centuries of the church and church history and say, God does not believe in rough and tumble play to grow up his church. And this is this is what we're seeing. And part of the difficulty is, is that with all of these transitions, really important and beautiful things are lost. There's always loss going on. Um, and, and in almost any place, you know, Ash, my conversation with you was really moving because on one hand, you could see, and and I, I really liked what David said, that so many of us in this corner are, are in transition. And so what often happens is that someone grows up in one area of the church, and it just feels stale. It feels like old wineskin. And then they go into another area of the church, and it's like, they come alive. I mean, it, it's so funny because a lot of people are heading to orthodoxy, but I bump into a bunch of people who grew up in orthodoxy, found it stale, and then are going to maybe a, a preaching-based tradition or maybe a worship-based tradition. And But we're also living a long time, which means that, you know, my friend Warren Mills in Australia, he grew up in a dispensational tradition and then was in a charismatic tradition and now is in a liturgical Orthodox tradition. And all along the way, in that sense, sort of in a serial form, Christ has been building into him the fullness of his body. And part of what I want, part of why I like the estuary format and the this little corner, whatever it is we're doing here, is that we're actually beginning to hear from people at different points. And so, you know, T. Grogan has been in the comment section. And, you know, a lot of what T. Grogan is is either challenging or pushing back on is sort of Christian anthropology as doctrinal container. What a Christian is, is kind of like a bucket full of doctrinal propositions. And that's very strong in the Christian Reformed tradition. It's very strong in the Reformed tradition. We really value orthodoxy and and 
I, I was listening to um, to Rosaria Butterfield, and she said, "My husband is a minister in a tradition where we have to vow that we would we would die for our doctrinal statements." And I thought, "Wow." Um, <laughs> I, you know, in, in one hand, you can appreciate the the conviction. On the other hand, you're not a bucket of propositions. And, you know, I've made the point before that if you're a minister in a church who believes all the propositions, but is sleeping with the organist, you're out. You're not a bucket of propositions. And, um, and so but propositions are important. Doctrine is important. Practice is important. Morality is important. All of these things are important, but we're monofocal creatures. And so we're always sort of task switching. So then as the body of Christ, we're doing all of this task switching around us. And, you know, to come back, and I'm going to end this thread in a couple of minutes, to come back to where this, this, this stream started, which was Sam and his comment to Emily, which I'm going to, I'm going to put back up on the screen here. Um, if I, if I can, uh, if I can, let's see, figure out how to do that. Um, this this comment, to this, okay, here we go. Emily's story seems to share a pattern of a lot of people in this little corner. People just trying to make church work, and, and not only make church work, make culture work and cultural inheritance work. That's really what Malcolm and Simone bring to this, is that Americans, it's so funny that Putin sits there and lectures um, Tucker Carlson on, on history. And I thought, yeah, there, there's a difference between Europe and America. <laughs> Americans are like, what's happening now? And most of the <laughs> old world is like, if you really understand me, let me talk to you about a thousand years of history. Oh, Americans are like, I don't have time for you. Get lost. What's on TV? Um, People are trying to make church work, but they are curious and ask questions and expect even demand answers from leadership that are under-equipped. That sort of gets to Ash's comment about equipping leaders. They're under-equipped to answer, and so they throw you under the bus to save their own face while pretending they are defending the institution, meanwhile taking advantage of your loyalty to the institution of whole. Obviously, there's a lot of Sam, as we talked about, Sam's story in that with respect to this. So you have competency in terms of, let's say, your bucket of propositions, but you also have competency in terms of what is a human being? Because inside that bucket of propositions, there needs to be one really big rock at the bottom where people came to Jesus and said, how can you summarize the law? This is right at the beginning of the Heidelberg Catechism. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two depend all of the law. So if you have your bucket of propositions, but you're not loving people, you can have the propositions you want. You're not living them. So now you guys got me preaching. Sorry about that. Um the failure of low openness, high conscientious leaders who feel like they live in threatening times and need tightening boundaries can't articulate why. And the high openness, high sincerity folks who get caught in the gears as the machine tightens. So we're we're all working on this tension here where we see a tradition must be preserved and people must be loved. And so really in this disruptive moment, we're asking the question, how can traditions be applied to people in loving ways? 
That's really hard because tradition is about sacrifice. We're going to sacrifice these things in my life. We're going to sacrifice these relationships for the sake of a tradition, continuity through time. But Jesus gives us this command, love the Lord your God. In that sense, it's sort of like a tradition because it goes this way and love your neighbor as yourself. That goes this way. So now we're caught between this and this. And what we're working through is, okay, okay. I need to love a tradition, but I need to love that person over there. And that person is probably full of hurts and anger and 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 so they're they're just they they just want to set the world on fire because they've been hurt. So on one hand you say, well, I know you want to set the world on fire but I'm not really going to let you burn down the church. But I'm going to have to figure out how to love you. There, there's the there's the tension. So there's my uh, sermon. I just had almost an exact example of that from my daughter, oldest daughter, who is currently having um, learning about different religions of the world. And she comes up to me and asks ask me, and it's like, Papa, how do I know which religion is true? And it's like, oh, man, you've just asked a huge, difficult question. And my my approach to her is I'm not beginning to done with her this, but it's like, in the end, you're going to have to choose this one for yourself. But here's the difference is it. And now start looking what I've done in your life and the way I treat you. Yeah. And, and that is the only way I'm going to be able to show her what it is, because I will not be able to intellectually try what my dad did is, well, you got to just believe it because you got to go do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, that's not going to work. And my pastor, I just told him about the question. He's like trying to give me sort of a, a smart Christian answer that, well, Christianity is the only one where, you know, God chooses you, you not you choose God. And it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a correct theory, theological answer to the question. But that's not convincing somebody emotionally on which way to head their life. So it, it's all the things you're talking about. And I think it's sort of what got me interested in Jordan Peterson originally, which was a little bit before I even saw Paul, is that he started giving a different bridge to answer those questions, to get somebody thinking about the stuff, which you can then take into the theological side as the way to go live life. And, you know, you know, Grog is Grog is out here. Um, you know, and when someone asks a question like this, usually Christians are, oh, okay, well, I'm going to quick answer this question. And Jesus, if you look at it, at Jesus, how Jesus dealt with people. So if you want to know how you should live, why don't you look at Jesus? Why don't you read the Gospels? I know that's a radical thing I'm saying. You'll never hear this in church. Um, so are Jehovah's Witnesses Christians? I don't, why do you want to know this? Do you want to be a Jehovah's Witness? What, what, what exactly are you looking for here? Because what you really should be asking is, well, in, in many ways, the same kind of questions people ask Jesus, what's, what's the way to life? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, how can I inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus says, well, what did Moses say? Oh, I've done all this. Oh, my, you've mastered Moses. Good for you. All right. Well, let's try this thing then. Sell everything you have and follow me. The 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 get the the demoniac on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus releases him from a life of incredible torment, and he's like, 
all I want to do is follow you, Jesus. Let me go across the, the, the sea with you. Now you go back to your village and tell them how much God has done with for you. And and this now we get in some deep cultural things for us, which is, Jesus, would you please give me a program? And the program Jesus gives you is follow me. No, no, but I, I kind of want to know, do you really? There's the program. Follow me. <laughs> no, I wanted a different, I wanted a program that wasn't, I wasn't, I wanted a program that wasn't so scary and costly. Oh, <laughs> well then go over here. There's lots of people selling those kinds of programs. But Jesus says, the only program I'm giving you is me. And and then suddenly there's a lot of questions to answer. And so we can say, well, it's so confusing because there's all these different churches out there that are saying they're selling the same program. Okay. So, yeah, that's a challenge. But in some way, it's also a benefit. So go work that for a while and see where it goes. Anyway. I've been having some Jehovah's Witnesses over at my place a few times now. I have I've sort of dodged the the hot button topics are at least just like agree to disagree and and let's sort of trying to build a relationship estuary style i guess um and i, I gotta say i was my my assumptions of, of their regard for christ assumed that it was much lower than it is even though that they're they don't believe in the deity it was it was quite a bit higher than i would have thought and their devotion to them i mean it in many ways, they sounded just like a lot of Baptists I know, yeah. aside from some other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then, then you know, all JWs believe in Jesus. Yeah. Well, and you know, when everybody sort of Christians and non-Christians sort of poured it on poor Jordan Peterson, when you know, do you believe in God? Well, it kind of depends what you mean. <laughs> I never found that to be a bad answer because it's like there's. Because people are asking that question with a lot of different things that they're looking for from you, because that's not really the question they're asking. What do you care if Jordan Peterson believes in God or not? Really? What do you care? And if you really care, maybe you'll sit down and he'll, you know, like do with Sam Harris. Well, well, what I kind of think of God, it's way too complicated for me to uh, to just say it off. So I'm going to read it off my computer here on stage with Sam Harris. Okay. And he reads it. Sam's listening, listening. But that doesn't mean like, you know, asking for parking spaces or praying that your aunt's cancer gets healed. So I don't know. You guys got me preaching. You got me all riled up now. It's, oh, look, we're coming full circle. Coming full circle. So daily reminder, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, but and I... <laughs> I could give them a much harder time than any of you could. That's true. But, uh... <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that I, I'm going to wrestle with on this live stream I'm going to do, because when I look at Jesus, he never makes it easy. Like he, the crowd comes around and boy, he loves to give them a hard saying to really see. And then he'll go back and tell the disciples, what are you talking about? The eating the flesh and drinking the blood, Jesus. He's like, yeah, that's true. And they're like, what? And a lot of them left. And I just, I think that's a, that's something I've been kicking around, like is as we, as we see how we're going to try and survive. I mean, literally in America, I hear uh, Charlie Brown is talking about what happened in Germany 
And my seminary leader was in the early to mid 2000s and people kind of thought he wasn't insane before we went and started the house church movement. He was saying, Hey guys, the church has collapsed in Europe and it's coming to America. And everybody's like, what? And he, and he just could see this happening. And I, you know, I, Paul, I could envision a future where people would be far away from I me, mean, literally where people wouldn't have a bunch of churches around them in America, potentially. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's coming so, soon. There's going to be less. Right. It's sooner than people think. It's yes. sooner than people think, yes. right? And, so, and, and what's interesting is that the churches that survive, and see, this is where some people will listen to Ash and think, well, he's one of these dogmatists, you know? Well, that's education and stuff. And you probably don't have Ash right anyway. But ironically, it's these durable people. Like, look at Sam. Sam is a Unitarian. He's a conservative Unitarian still in America. That's what's so cool about Sam. It's like, wow, look at this. They're they're out there still. Um, that's that's kind of interesting. I I do want to um I do want to address the the oh you got to mute your uh yeah I do want to address the clarity question because somebody's got a somebody's got a lot my um Jeremy I think you're you've got a live feed on. Thanks. Um this clarity thing is deeply connected to the other issue of following Jesus. Cause it's like, Jesus, I want you to be clear. Could Jesus really be clear? If Jesus was clear, you could, could you hear him? Here's a, now I'm going to see, you got me in preaching mode. So I'm sorry. I'll just take you all off the screen and I'll just do it. Um, when the brilliant ethicist, John Cavanaugh went to work for three months at the house of the dying in Calcutta, he was seeking a clear answer to how to best spend the rest of his life. On the first morning there, he met Mother Teresa. She asked him, and what can I do for you? Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him. Oh, that sounds like a good thing. What do you want me to pray for, she asked. He voiced the request that he had borne thousands of miles from the United States. I pray that I have clarity. She said firmly, no, I will not do that. When asked why, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must be let go of. When Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have clarity um, he longed for, she laughed and said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. And I think that is in many ways where all of the panic is that, you know, if you actually believe in God, you learn to trust because he's God. <laughs> I mean, and even if you got questions about aspects of this, the one thing nobody's disagreeing with with respect to God is all of the things we sold to hold, hold in common with God. So, okay. I, I got to, yeah, trust in what? Yeah, I know, T. Grogan. It's okay. It's all right. You'll, I, the problem, the problem. The problem that you have is if you keep hanging out with this bunch, stuff will happen. And um, yeah, don't worry about it. It will. Anyway, I'll shut up now. Last thoughts for people. Uh, Jeremy, you came in. You got something you want to say? Now, last thoughts. You got to mute that other web tab. Yeah, I wanted to uh, build on what Lance said. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. No. Yeah, no, I... Wow. Oops. Sorry. Okay. Streamyard rookie. I turned off all the background, so I'm I can't hear anybody else. I'm just going to talk for a second because I'm on speakers. But anyway, I wanted to comment on what Lance said about following Christ being so hard. And I I have godsons in Orthodoxy now, young men who 
have been baptized who asked me to kind of be their sponsor in the church. And over and over again, what I see with them is that they have not, they've, they've suffered a lot of trauma in their lives. They've suffered a lot of physical and emotional trauma, but very few of them have suffered as far as like physical suffering, Hmm. you know, and I'm thinking of like sports, like in, you know, like hard practices in sports two a days where, you know, you get up at four in the morning and run for two hours, then you go home and sleep. And then you come in at five 30 in the afternoon and it's a hundred degrees. And then you're going to run sprints. And I remember one time I said to my coach, coach, I think I'm going to die. And he said, if you're lucky, you'll die, but you're not lucky. So you get to run another one. And, and I just don't see a lot of young people really having an encounter with suffering at a level that prepares them for the the difficulty of facing your own ego when you begin to enter into a relationship with Christ. And it, it's kind of like when when Peter, you know, after Christ came back and Peter saw him again and said, Lord, leave me. I'm a sinful man. That That suffering is the true call of Christianity. And I think that it's the Christianity that a lot of people run from once they actually once you actually see the cross, once you actually see your cross, that's when that's when it's really hard to face that and, and be willing to take it up. And and your cross is a lot of times just your ego. And and I, I I was just I just wanted to comment on how I don't think a lot of young people have really been prepared for learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And now I'll I'll be quiet, mute myself so I can listen. All right. Last thoughts, people. I gotta land the plane. I gotta. I got. I got minister stuff. I gotta do. Yeah. <clears throat> Again, like I think on that live stream I talk about. I want to. I'm really been ruminating a lot about how easy we've made church in some ways, and is that to our benefit? Uh, which is, which is, I think, is somewhat interesting. I've also went back and looked at all the traditions. It's amazing the liturgies that even the Calvinists were doing Paul back in the day. Um, that we've kind of even fallen away from. And so, uh, yeah, what an interesting time because it's, it's, I spent 15 years in the middle of this quagmire and, and you've been all over it here. Something's been happening, Paul. And so I'm very, uh, very excited to be a part of this conversation. And um, I, I think a lot's going to come out of it over the next little bit. Yeah, I, I, along with our discussion, uh, and it goes back to the the pastors and the pastors falling away. I, I think like the, and to me, it goes back to Jethro and Moses of, yeah, Moses can't do everything. Like you need the pyramid, you need the judges below, below Moses. So having even in your own life, a series of practices and not just being like, I'm going to be the gold medalist in being the ultimate Christian. It's just like, yeah, like you need, yeah, for some people you need to, the task needs to be as small and easy as possible because then you can do it with the correct heart posture. If you're doing the like, oh, I'm fasting for 90 days and because the Lord is really going to see me this time. It's like, so just doing simple, making the coffee, being, uh, listening to ear to someone like the baby, most, so many people don't even have the baby level down of like, oh, I could do this for 90 years, 60 years, whatever. So just ordering it like of maybe you weren't called to be the mega pastor you're just called to be a friend to someone and once you get really good at being a friend to someone with the right heart posture then you can make the coffee then you can 
uh, clean the chairs, then you can. And so the ordering and the layering inside and outside of the church, I think, is really important to not make uh, tower, uh, you know, fragile towers. All right. Anybody else? Last thoughts. Um, churches need to respect the loyalty of their people mm. and not take advantage of it. Yeah, that's a that's a great it's, point. It's a very high offering to give an institution your loyalty. And it's really crummy when leaders disrespect that. Yeah, that's a great point. That's Post great chat in the Bridges of Meaning Discord voice chat if anybody wants to come over. All right. So. But I think leaders leaders also should <clears throat> honor the tradition of their churches instead of trying to play games with them and doing double speak from the pulpit. I see it. I see too much of that as well. Oh, that's very true. Yeah. And you know, in, in the CRC, you know, John Sook, I have used, I had him on the channel, actually. He, he was, he, he reached about as high as you could in the denomination. And when he basically realized he was no longer in alignment with the tradition, he had the integrity to leave it. <laughs> you know yeah c.s lewis talks a lot about that yeah. But, yeah but the other thing too that i, I want to say that you know how does transformation happen we talk about estuary and we talk about transforming things being transformed transforming so on. how does transformation happen and you know my experience and, and what i what i see the bible say is that transformation happens by the word of god it that that is how we are transformed into his image and the holy spirit uses the word of God to help us transform. So that's that's all I want to say. All right. Um, I am going to... Um, Lance, you're going to be on BOM in a voice chat. So I'm going to drop the link, an invite link to BOM into the stream here. So if anybody wants to continue this conversation on BOM, it's a Discord platform. It's a little different. But um, there it is. And uh, like I said, I got some things I need to do. Um, but thank you all for those of you, especially who came on and showed your face and talked. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, I hope nobody, no, nobody banned T Grog, did they? I hope not. Um, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, I, I passed out wrenches pretty uh, liberally and every now and then, uh, not, not, not everybody has the same kind of tolerance for, um, for uh, drama that I do. So uh, hopefully nobody banned poor T Grog because he's just, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have a little bit of, you gotta have a le little bit of leeway in the estuary. That's what it's for. So, all right. Thank you all. I'm going to end the stream. Plug in? What's that? Do I get to throw one plug in? It depends what you're going to plug. My game. What what game is this? Fly Aces High. I'm a video game designer. I'm one of the original online game designers. Really? That, I've been, I mean, you guys are newbies to the internet. I've been on the net since 91. <laughs> well, tell me about the game. Fly Aces High. It's, is it a card it's a game? World or War, a... It's World War II Flight Simulator. It's one of the oldest games on the net. Um, I launched this one. I launched in 99. I launched it. Still really? going strong. Yeah, you can play with a thousand people doing virtual war up online. Just, Google, just Google my name and you'll find it. Huh. Really cool. That's very cool. I like that. So that's my plug. All right. Good plug. So <laughs> if you want to know what Dale Adding has been working at, fly aces high. If you just
uh, hightechcreations.com. Um, pretty cool. I, I used to play, I used to, back when I played a little bit more video games, um, there was a World War II flight simulator I used to play with, really enjoyed it. It was it was fun for it a while. It was a game called Warbirds. I created that one too, so. Depends when. Was it online or an offline game? No, it was offline. Yeah, then it wasn't me. So. That was before the internet. So it was, you loaded it. It came on floppy disks and you put it in your computer and it ran on your hard drive and et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah, I got a kick out when you're talking about banning people and stuff. I've been running message boards, which are no different than Twitter since the early 90s. You know, I got a message board with, I don't know, 20, 30 billion posts on it or something. You know, it's just, it's just, you always get, you always get the weird people that eventually you got to ban them. So, yeah, yeah. It's, there's nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. Nope, they're not. It's the same <laughs> stuff, different picture. Yeah. All right. So thank you all. See y'all. And the stream.